Hello and welcome to Techno Social. Today's guest was Gary Dean. He's an entrepreneur and app developer behind Quizzle, a new multimedia mobile gaming app. It's kind of a music quiz and various other things too. Um, we had a pretty fascinating conversation about the history of digital gaming, about ad revenue models, and about being an entrepreneur today. Mm, and how much it has changed, um, certainly over the last 30 years. I hope all you guys enjoy and I'm sure you will. to the podcast. Thank Welcome you. to Techno Social, as we as we call it. Um, that's our that's our name cool. going forward. So, so why don't you introduce yourself? Um, right, my name is Gary Dean. Um, I'm the CEO and founder of a company called Collective Dynamics, mm. and um, I'm currently building a um, mobile app for quizzing. So basically, it's a multimedia quiz with edits of songs, movies, and images of famous faces mm. for people to guess. Um, and it has speech recognition for answering, and a chat room for people to socialise in, mm. and it also has cash prizes and real prizes too. So the idea is that as you play the game, when you get questions right, you gain a thing called Quizzle Coins, which mm. you can then collect up, and swap out for real prizes in an area of the game called The Vault. Mm. Um, this is where brands can advertise their products, um, so you can see, see all these cool tech stuff. Um, we've already got a couple of, well, one definite product in, a couple we're looking at. Don't want to say them until they're secured. Sure. Mm. But, um, but the idea is that there's loads of really cool tech stuff like headphones and mm. phones and just tech. Um, it's, it's mainly going to be focused at the sort of stuff people are interested in. Mm. Um, and then you can collect your coins up and then swap that out for that when you get enough coins. So rather than just playing a game pointlessly and, you know, getting achievements and getting awards and stuff like that, mm. you'll actually be able to translate your your quizzing knowledge into a prize. Mm. Where did the idea for this come from? Okay, so originally, the original idea started 30 years ago, mm. um, before the age of the internet and mobile phones. And, um, <laughs> 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 make myself sound really old now. Yeah. twinkle in our but, parents' eyes. Like. Okay, so... Originally, when I was 18 years old, I tried to start up a magnetic jigsaw company called Sticky Jigs. Mm. Um, and um, I was trying to get three and a half million pound investment at 18 years old. Bold. Yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I managed to negotiate distribution across 10 European countries. And I had artwork deals sorted out with like Warner Brothers, Disney, BBC, Tate Gallery and other people too. Um, we had a product line. We had three, three different size of puzzle backings and eight different puzzle sizes and got all this stuff sorted out. Um, but never quite managed to achieve the finance. Mm. So after a lot of time and effort and money, that sort of died a death. And, um, at the time I was thinking, what else can I do? Um, mm. I need something else to do because obviously, uh, creatively the jigsaws weren't going to sort of satisfy me long term. Mm. 
So, um, like I say, this was before the age of technology. Um, and in that time, I, you know, years ago, people used to play a lot of board games. Mm. And I always thought that they're called board games because they're really boring. <laughs> so, like when you play Trivial Pursuit, yeah, there's like six people playing. Yeah. And you take it in turns answering questions. So you're only active for a sixth of the time. So in an hour, you're actually only playing for 10 minutes, mm. which oh, is why people get really bored playing them. Yeah, of course. That is actually yeah. a very a very interesting deconstruction of Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> you're only playing the game for like the brief amount of time that you're thinking and then getting wrong the question. Like. Yeah, and as, like, like Monopoly is like a perfect example, isn't it? You know, it's um, so laborious. And uh, having said that, my daughter does love Monopoly now, but I think it's a retro thing, you know, it's like, um, yeah, like yeah. Collecting yeah. And then also you have Monopoly is probably my favorite example of sort of weird marketing because Monopoly is supposed to be a bad game. It's intentionally poorly designed yeah. because it was actually designed by, um, a Quaker in the USA, right. a lady with the intention of demonstrating why private property doesn't work as a concept. That's really <laughs> <laughs> because everyone starts the money, the game so everyone starts the game with the same amount of money yeah. and the same chances and the same like thing of winning. Yeah. The same like probability of winning. And at the end of the game, everyone is broke yeah. except one person who owns everything. It's yeah. a good metaphor for life, isn't exactly. it? <laughs> it's how the world works, isn't it? Literally. But so. then it's so it's almost intended as a critique of like rent and ownership and stuff yeah and what's, what's wrong with capitalism it, yeah. yeah exactly and instead it's actually become like a symbol of capitalism and people mm. are getting like solid gold monopoly boards it's, it's like, an interesting point maybe it's time for someone to recreate monopoly in a sort of socialist fashion <laughs> right? where it mm. works the other way everyone starts off with loads of money and they have to try and give it away <laughs> an interesting idea I'll spend some time on that yeah that can make a cool one yeah Yeah, so um, so basically like I say I had this thought that board games are very boring Mm. how could you make them less boring so the concept was that you know when you see quiz shows on TV everyone's engaged the whole time because they're all involved um, Mm. and they all have an opportunity to buzz in so I thought how could you turn that pre-digital age into something interactive so I concepted this idea for a pop quiz where you'd have a CD um, with lots of small edits of songs. And obviously, again, CD, that was the technology then. Yeah. <laughs> so you could, ones, yeah. Yeah, 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 an actual <laughs> thing. Yeah. So you could, uh, you could then hit random play. Obviously, you're stuck with just what's on that CD, but anyway. Um, you'd hit random play, and then as soon as you... Uh, so the idea was that everyone would have, you know, like a dog squeaky toy. Mm. Um, you'd have like little ones of those so everyone playing could have a, a like, little squeaker um, and then if you knew what the song was you could just buzz in with your squeaker um, and, and that was the just a simple concept for the game but mm. um, due to the fact that puzzles went down the pan I never eventually did anything with that either so that sort of sat there for 30 years um, and then last year uh, for years my mum kept saying to me why don't you get the puzzles going again and um, I just had my fingers burnt so badly with it that mm. for years I was just like, no, I'm not, not interested, not interested. <laughs> and uh, last year it just suddenly dawned on me with the age of the internet and the power of the internet, how everything's changed. So then when I was originally doing the puzzles, um, I was going out to source materials in places like Holland. And to do that then, you obviously had to make contact with someone over the phone and you had all language problems 
conversing with them. Mm. Um, and then you'd set up a meeting. So then I'd have to go and get a ferry to Holland, um, drive halfway across Holland to go and have a meeting with them. Um, <clears throat> which I think I was thinking about it on the way here, actually. Mm-hmm. It had two different effects. So today, the saturation of, of, of the digital world is such that it's, it's more difficult to make contact with people today. Because everyone you try and make contact with is being contacted by thousands of people constantly. All the time. So it gets lost in the noise. Mm. Whereas years ago, without sounding twee and, and that, you know, you'd have a guy sat in a factory in Holland and he's thinking, how can I drum up business? And some guy from England rings him up and says, I want to make 400,000 puzzles. And he's instantly, in, instantly interested. Yeah. Because mm. it's a business opportunity for him and there's no way he's going to make contact with you and he, you know, trying to sell yourself in that environment is a completely different world to today. Mm. So it was a lot easier. And again, like with the art deals and things like that, mm. it was a lot easier then, even though it was logistically hard. Mm. So <clears throat> anyway, so obviously there were these constraints with manufacturing, you know, um, just even within this country, um, I contacted people. So the original puzzles were made out of a steel sheet, a plastic covered steel sheet. Mm. And, um, just making contact with people and getting samples and stuff was just it's just so different. It's all like, just like the delivery networks we have today. We take for granted, you know. You, yeah. you order something on Amazon, it's there the next day. If it's not there the next day, you're moaning. It's, it's insane that we take that for granted, yeah, right? It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's the silliest thing. <clears throat> like, if you think about even, like, back when I was, like, young and we used to order stuff on the internet and you yeah. still, like, it would be two weeks and it'd be like, probably best to wait another week. Yeah, it will turn up. Yeah, exactly. Um, Whereas now they give you, like, a tracking thing so you can see, like, exactly where yeah, the process yeah. is just to, just to stop you from freaking out. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it will get faster. We, we know this with drones and stuff. It's just going to get crazy. But, yeah, so, I mean, like, for example, once I had a lorry turn up at my house. I used to live in a cul-de-sac. Mm. This guy's knocked on the door and he's like, I've got some samples of this steel for you from this steel uh, company. Yeah. And he turned up in, like, a huge HGV. And because my address was First Avenue, he just, it sounded like it was on a business estate. And he's turned <laughs> up there and it's just this little house, this little, you know, suburban house. And he had to park around the corner and carry all this stuff around to me. But, um. <laughs> this video 18. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it, it, it dawned on me that the world's a completely different place, um, with the likes of, of being able to get stuff manufactured in China. Mm. You know, you can go online, find someone's website in China, contact them, um, give them specifications. They can quote you instantly, um, just through computers in, in itself. Um, and, and just manufacturing, you can get stuff made in China. You can get it drops shipped from China. Um, Everything is so much simpler. You have things like Shopify, so you don't even need a shop front, you don't need a warehouse, you literally need nothing, and you can set up a business. And so I thought, yeah, I had a bit of an epiphany, and I thought, yeah, maybe I'm being stupid not doing the puzzle, so I thought, I'm going to get it going again. Um, So I spent quite a bit of time looking back into it, and I changed the design of it, um, I don't want to go too much into that because I still, it's still a little pet project of mine. But sure. Mm, yeah. Mm. I basically, I concepted this unique design of jigsaw piece, which, um, fits in any space, in any place. So, you know, like with a normal jigsaw puzzle, you're always, even though there's a picture. Yeah. You're looking at the shape of the puzzle piece. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So it has to, you're looking for a certain shape, you know, uh, that goes in that spot. Mm. I, I've, designed a puzzle piece which is universal so it then puts the onus on the picture so it's all about the image if you could put mm. any piece in any spot and it'll fit 
Yeah. You know, so, uh, okay. So you kind of so, like basically means you can't sort of cheat. Like you, you have to actually be looking at the. It gives it a, a more difficult, a, a higher difficulty. Yeah. Because it's not just you know uh, with an old fashioned puzzle you'd match the picture to it and that and then if it fitted you knew it was the right piece because it would, only one piece is going to fit in that hole. Mm. But with what I've designed it's complete. But anyway, that's that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> so. I contacted uh, this company um, called D2M, who do design and development. It's D2M stands for Design to Manufacture, mm. and they can take you through the whole journey. Um, and I'd contacted them to see if they could help me out because they had contacts in China um, for production. And obviously, going to China just off your own back's a bit of a minefield because you never know if you're just going to get ripped off and copied. And, mm. um, yeah, so I figured it might be best to make contact with someone who's got a good contact there. So anyway, the, he, he was spending a lot of time in China and was quite slow getting back to me. And while I was waiting for him to come back to me, I came across a company called Hyper Apps through Facebook who do prototype development. Mm. And um, I said to my wife, maybe I should go and have a chat with them about the idea for the music quiz. She's like, she's like yeah, yeah, it's a really good idea. You should do it. As all wives would say. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so anyway, I'd, I'd arranged a meeting with them and I was going to go and see them. And like the day before, I was, you know, you always have self-doubt. It's what makes us humans. Pre-mission so, nerves. Yeah. That's so, what I call it. <laughs> so literally the day before, I was thinking to myself, that's a really crap idea. Like, <laughs> I'm going to go and they're going to be like, yeah, that's just rubbish. Um, <laughs> and that'll be that. Mm. And so I was thinking, maybe I won't go. Shall I go? Shall I not go? And on the day, I thought, well, sod it. You know, I'm very much a believer in seize, seize that moment. You know, uh, if you go and they don't like it, you've not lost anything, have you, other than your yeah. time that day? Yeah. yeah. What are you going to do otherwise? You know, um, I've had this conversation with someone recently before I, I joined the Founder Institute course, and um, and they were like, I don't know whether to join or not. And I was like, well, what are you going to do for the next 10 weeks if you don't join? So I think very much in life, life is just a series of opportunities, mm. um, whether that's business or personal or anything. Uh, and the key to life is to seize every opportunity mm. Um, mm. because we're just here for experience. That's all we, you know. Our purpose in life is to experience. And if you say no to stuff, don't complain when your life's really shit and boring. Because yeah. you know, well, you know, when your mate rings you up and they're like, "Do you want to go for a drink?" and you're like, "Ah, oh, uh, maybe not." Mm. You know, you never know what might happen that night. You know? Yeah, I think yeah. So it's kind of just like a game we're playing, and we don't really know what the rules are. Absolutely, but you know that. If you kind of try and create within the game, then things kind of come yeah. back because you collaborate with others. You create a space for somebody else. And yeah, yeah. Well, it might not. Be, yeah, exactly. It might not even be you that you, that has the amazing thing, but by you going somewhere, you could create something for someone else. Absolutely. So you know, it, it, we're a collective experience, and and I, yeah, I very much believe that everything you do in life, that the more energy and effort you put into life, the more you'll get out of it. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's why I haven't got a TV. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, I find yeah. it interesting as someone who's like a, um, you know, designing an app and yet you don't have a TV. And like, yeah. Like do you use game apps at all yourself? I do. Yeah. I like if you looked at my phone. I've cut it off now. But if you looked at my phone, I've probably got more apps than anyone you've ever met in your life. Mm, for real? Um, yeah. Because you know, with iPhones, you can put them in folders. Yeah. I've probably got about sixty folders with different stuff in. So, like the games folder has probably got about eighty games in it. Mm, so, and hey. it just there's a lot of apps on my phone. Yeah. Um, 
Obviously, you don't use them all of the time, but yeah. I'm quite a, a kleptomaniac. I can't mm. really get rid of stuff. <laughs> so, you know, it, there are so many things now trying to claim our attention. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Especially with gaming and stuff like yeah. that. Especially like yeah. I've noticed on YouTube, they've, they've, they've clocked on to sort of like how you advertise a game app. Well, in the third, in the five second YouTube advert, you just show someone playing the app. Yeah. And then, and then you just make the app really sort of satisfying looking with lots of very satisfying sort of clicky nice noises and lots of instant progression. Yeah. And then in those five seconds, someone will come hooked even though they've not actually played it. They just see someone else play it. Right. And like, I have to really resist the urge. I see all of these and I'm like, Oh, that looks like it would be cool to play. And then I'm like, nope. If, if, like, if I download that one, I'll download the next one, and then the next one, and the next one, and the next one, because, like, it is just, it's like a, it's, it's, it's almost like a deconstruction of, like, a game to, like, what is it that just makes your brain be like, oh, yeah, this is nice. Okay, and so. And it's just, like, instant reward. So, I don't know if you've heard of a guy called N- N- Nir Eyal. He's an American guy. You mentioned him when we spoke before. Yeah, he wrote yeah. a book called Hooked, um, and it's all about, um, the addictive loop of of apps and games, mm. Um, mm. and how companies use um, a uh, uh, like a hook loop to get you engaged, um, and then for you to have an investment in something, and then there's a reward, um, and then there's a trigger which brings you back into the game. So mm. all, all all of those notifications and stuff like that, yeah, that's all all designed to to keep this loop going. You know, um, especially nothing more so than social media. You know, you're constantly being alerted to posts and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, that's an amazing book. I definitely recommend anybody reading that book. Even mm. if you're not interested in building an app, it definitely help you understand how you're being manipulated. Mm. Um, but obviously as someone designing an app, um, it was a massive eye opener because, um, yeah, I just loved that book. I devoured it and I've, sort yeah. of, I've incorporated pretty much the whole of his book into what I've built. What are some of the core ideas that you've really taken? So, well, so the, the thing is, is I've probably taken it to a bit of an extreme. So, with, um, I said I wasn't going to do that. Yeah, ankle, yeah. So, the thing is, is like I say, uh, there's, there's many different parts of the book and it talks about, it talks about triggers and rewards and stuff in quite a subtle way. Mm. And, and just what you were saying just then about apps made me think about the reason that, uh, one of the reasons I've gone with the designer hat. A few years ago, it dawned on me that the amount of times you play, uh, spend playing games is that lost time, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it might be entertaining. But a lot of games is, and again, coming back to the investment part of that loop. Mm. Yeah. So um, there's a game I play called Real Racing, and I've been playing it for years. Um, and it's massive. It's a huge game. It's got endless races and all this different stuff. And the longer you're involved in something like that, the bigger the investment you've got in it. So when I look through games, when I'm bored and I'm looking through for a game to play, that's one of the first things I think of because you've got this two or three year progression that you've built into the game and it and it makes you come back but it dawned on me that you know everyone spends a lot of time playing these games mm. um, my pet hate is Candy Crush yeah oh I, yeah I don't understand 
why grown adults are playing a game that looks like something for a five-year-old. I just don't get it. <laughs> you know, my stepmom recently went to Candy Crush HQ because she's so high in the level. She's in like really? class of players. That's crazy. Really? <laughs> yeah. What? That's right. so insane. <laughs> so, yeah, to me, I don't get it. I, don't, I understand why people do it, um, but yeah. to me, it just doesn't make any sense. And so there was a period of quite a few years ago now when I was like, right, I'm not. I, t- I think it was Angry Birds that really pissed me off. More than <laughs> 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 yeah, again, it's cool a game that, that br- brilliantly built that investment in that, you know, you'd be getting through these levels and then they kept adding bits and that. And you're like, shit, I've got to do that bit now. Yeah. yeah. And I just thought, why am I doing this? There must be something better I could do with my time. And I actually got into doing Forex trading instead because I thought, it's no different, is it? If you look at Forex trading, it's like a game. Yeah, you, 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 you put a bet on, you stake a claim, um, and then you watch it, it goes up, goes down. And, and I just thought, surely it would make more sense to sort of spend your time doing something like that. And you still get the same like investment and rewards scenario, mm. but you, you may get something back out of it at the end of it. Yeah, you might even make some money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's something that, um, I, so, just going back to what I was saying, so I, I approached Hyper Apps, yeah. discussed the idea with them, um, and they were like, this is like really exciting, we really like it. Um, the the, the um, main guy from Hyper was saying to me that he, uh, a guy called Tom West, he um, was really focused on HQ, the quiz at the time, um, and I'd never heard of HQ at this point. Uh, I'd obviously had a little look into other quizzes that are about. And there's there's a, another quiz. I'll name drop it. It's called Pop Quiz. It's awful. It's, <laughs> um, they've got like again. It looks like a kids app. The design of the interface is just bright colours. And... Anyway, so it's just really crap, and it has like multiple choice questions. So you'll get like a sample of a song, and then it will give you four choices. Mm. And the thing is, is if you hear a song, then you sort of might know it. But then when you get the four choices come up, then you obviously know it then because you'll think, oh, yeah, it was that. Which to me just wasn't entertaining at all. It's just really just a bit crap. So <clears throat> I, I could see that there wasn't really anything like that out there, like what I wanted to build. Mm. And he was explaining to me about HQ, like they've got a presenter um, and it's like a live quiz and, and people are like, you know, in the States, there's like millions of people playing this every night. Um, and there was the English version. They had like 150,000 players and stuff like that regularly. And um, and so anyway, he he inspired me to go away and look at it and develop it more deeply. The idea of the game, because obviously I said originally it was very simple. Mm. Um, so then I went away, and I'm a voracious voracious reader, uh, which is when I came across like the book Hooked, and I got myself loads of books all to do with tech startups and stuff like that. Um, and I spent four months um, designing and developing this game. So what occurred to me is that the majority of quiz games out there are like text-based multiple-choice questions. And I just thought, this is crazy. You know, we live in a digital age of multimedia. And all these quiz shows are just a text question with a multiple-choice answer. Yeah. It's not really shit. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like exams for school, like back in the day where it's just like, you know, there's like written one question and there's like lines or maybe there's like boxes to tech. And it's like, you know, it's just like, same model that's been used since paper and pen. Well, was if, if you look into the history of multiple choice questions, they're actually engineered to help people pass tests. Yeah. Because the, the, the reality is, is you'll have four questions and two of them will be ridiculous answers. Yeah. So that brings yeah. you down to a 50-50. So, 
I don't see how that's engaging or entertaining personally myself. Yeah. So, and also, like, I actually remember when we had multiple choice questions in school, I realized that you don't have to really think that much about the question. Yeah. You just have to look at the answers and then use kind of examiner psychology. Yeah. Like, imagine you're in the examiner's shoes and you're making the answers. Yeah. And then, like, you know, it's, you know, one trick that is in almost all multiple choice questions or any good multiple choice question probably should use it is there's one that really looks like the answer yeah. and is the obvious product of an obvious yeah, error like that a real you wordy make. answer that's sort yeah. of yeah and all the other the rest are just like a couple of words like, yeah. smart, I'm do that <laughs> and and then it's always not that one yeah. and then as you say there's usually one or two ridiculous ones yeah. that are just sort of there for there to be more than two yeah. and so if you sort of think like that most of the time you can find the answer without really paying just much like reverse to the engineer question. the question so, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I basically spent a few months looking at all these other apps and working out what the good points were and what the bad points were. Yeah. And I just, I found it amazing that HQ, I understand it, there's like a massive buzz around the fact it was live. Um, and that, so like for, for older people, um, growing up where there was just TV and everything was linear mm-hmm. and you had to watch things at certain times. Yeah. That was really frustrating. Which is one of the reasons I don't have a TV is because I didn't like my life being programmed at certain points of the day. Mm. And that is what older generation embrace about things like YouTube and that. Yeah, it's non-linear. You can just watch it whenever you want. Um, so for, for younger generation, having something that happened at nine o'clock was a bit of a novelty. You know, they, they're used to not having that. So yeah. ironically, yeah, they've gone the other way around. It's become like a, you know, again, and this mm. is the other thing is with the connectedness of the internet, everyone's actually less connected. So for everyone to come together at a specific time and do a, a game together, it's quite exciting. Mm. And that, that coupled with the fact there was an opportunity to win money, um, again, added to the excitement of it. But so I, I looked at all these other quizzes and I worked out what they'd done, which I thought was a good idea. And then worked out the bits I thought were a bit crap. Um, and then designed that into my game. So my game has a cash prize, but what it doesn't do. So HQ, HQ has a knockout system, which I think's really bad. So they start with one and a half million players, say. And then as you go through their 15 questions, people get knocked out. So by the time you get to the end of the game, there's only like, hundred people still playing mm. so after having one and a half million people engaged at the beginning of the game down to a hundred at the end i don't understand why that seems like a good idea um it, you know if, if just say they're using advertising in the game how can you go to an ad uh, advertiser and say yeah you know we're going to have one and a half million people playing it if I was going to be putting my money behind the adverts, I'd be saying, but you're only going to have a hundred left at the end of the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like all you, it's like you have basically one opportunity to advertise with one and a half million. Yeah. And all the subsequent ones are going to be way less. Yeah. So, so like, I don't know if you played it. You, so th- they, what happens is they'll have like two or three or four easy questions, which are just like stupidly easy. You'd have to be from Mars not to get them right. Yeah. And then the next question will be like ridiculously hard. So they call it a savage question. So it's it's something that very few people know. But you've got a one in four chance of guessing it. So it just knocks massive amounts of people out, which is why by the end of the game, and they've had two or three savage questions, there's like a 100 people left. So I thought, I don't want to do that. I want, I want people to enjoy playing the game. Mm. If you get something wrong, you might know the next question. 
So I, I wanted a different way of, of the game working. So instead of having a knockout system, what we've got is, um, is a points scoring system. So as people go through the game, and this is the other thing as well with HQ, it's like 15 questions long. The whole game is only like 10 minutes. Mm. Now I know people like things in a short period of time, but for me it just seems like too short. And they only, they run two games a day. So they have one at three o'clock and one at nine o'clock in the evening. Um, and I thought they're just, they're losing something here because they're engaging all these people that want to play a quiz. And there's only two moments in the day for them to play. So like after you finish that first game, if you've been knocked out, for me, I'd be thinking, if there was another game afterwards, I'll be playing again afterwards. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Because, like, in a way, losing actually almost hooks you more than winning. Yeah. So, yeah. not yeah. having like, With all other apps, just, like, yeah. other, other games and that, you know, you play something and then, like, like a space shoots them up or something and then you yeah. get killed and you go you straight go back, back in for life. another go, didn't yeah. you? I'll do better this time. Yeah. So, uh, to me, I, I think the amount, the, their viral growth they achieved was astounding. Mm. Um, but they just didn't design their game around keeping the, their, their players engaged. Um, so they sort of lost the investment, you know, uh, part of it for me. So anyway, so what we've decided to do is there's 60 questions. Um, you work your way through them. You either get them right or wrong. Mm. At the end of the quiz, the winner is whoever's got the most, the highest score. But if there's more than one person got the highest score, it will come down to who's answered the questions quickest. Sure. So... Mm. So that we've changed that. That that design's completely different. No one else is really doing that. Um, the other thing we've done as well is we've got rid of multiple choice uh, answering. I think that's yeah. awful. So we're um, incorporating speech recognition. So you hear a sample of a song on your phone, and then you hit a button, and you just say the name of the song in. So mm. we basically tried to bring it to a modern age. Yeah, know. which is much more... Almost more engaging than just hitting the button. Because I think so. I think so. And the thing is, is that... So, however many questions you get right, you score coins in the game, and then they go into a tally that you add up. Um, and then, so, originally, like I say, we were just looking at, like, a cash prize. And then uh, we thought, you know, how can we make this more engaging for people? Um, with the So, the, the whole investment part of it comes with the Quizzle Coins. So, yeah. every game that you go and play, you're adding more coins. Um, yeah. And then we figured that there should be um, a, a part of the game, which is called the Vault. So companies can then display their products and then you have an opportunity to swap your coins for that product. So going back to what I was saying before about playing games for no purpose. Yeah, right. We've engineered into the game a purpose for you playing. So, mm. you know, so, and, and there's also the option. So you can go in the vault and there's really endless cool stuff in there. You can go and have a look at it. You can like it. You can share it on social media and then gain more coins from liking it. Mm. So it, 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 there's something there for the brands because it gives them a space to advertise and, and connect with um, a huge group of people um, mm. and advertise their products in a non-advertising way. So ra rather than having adverts that pop up through the quiz, um, yeah, so like banners and all this sort of stuff, which I yeah, think just annoys everyone. People. Just, no one looks at everyone; just skips it as fast as yeah. possible. Like. So, so basically, there's three rounds in the quiz, and there's going to be a short gap between. And in that short gap, there will be like an advert. I'm using that word, but it's not really an advert. All it is is it's going to be uh, an edit showing you the stuff you can win. Yeah, which so, people will be interested in because it's not like oh, a random thing that has been put into my app. It's yeah. like. This is a thing that you it's not could potentially have. To sell you um, a set of pants or you know a pair of Wellington boots or something like that. Yeah. It's literally, yeah. it's a small gap where you've been playing for six minutes. Uh, so the quiz is twenty minutes long altogether. 
Mm. And there's three six-minute rounds. So it's just like a short gap for you to have a breather. Um, and because there's a chat room there, you can chat with your friends as well if you want. You don't have to obviously look at the the, uh, the little link. Mm. Um, but it just shows you, you know, that these are what you could be winning if you actually answer better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then also presumably you'll get, like, people who will just go into the vault just to see, like, ooh, I wonder what I can win. Yeah. You know, and so you'll actually, it's, it's kind of like, shopping. it's like, it's like you have like a filter so that it's, you're not just displaying it to everyone or even a targeted market and hoping that they engage. Yeah. If someone is there, like they're there because they're already engaged. Yeah, it's their choice so, to go and look. Yeah. So it's not being pushed to them. So it, it's, it's a more subtle way of advertising. Um, mm. You can actually get what is there, what you see. Right? Well, yeah. So yeah, you're not just looking at something. You have a, you have a possibility of winning it. So, mm. Yeah. You know, I was interested in the um, speech recognition stuff, you know, mm. thinking about like, that seems to be one of the new technologies that's coming in with Alexa and all of this yeah. wacky stuff at the yeah. moment. Like, I suppose one thing, can you envision the game being played through Alexa so you wouldn't even have to get engaged with a device? Right, so to begin with, we're, we're building an iOS version, so, so that'll work on iPads as well, um, and an Android version. Yeah. Um, and eventually... At some point in the near future, we will build like an Apple TV version. Mm. So, um, yeah, how that would work through Alexa, I'm sure it's doable, definitely. Mm. Um, but again, if you, you know, if you've got a TV and, and you're using Apple TV, um, I'm not really looked into it to a great deal, but I'm sure it, it would be the same thing because Apple have a speaker, don't they? Okay. Yeah, they all do. Yeah. What do you think about that stuff? <laughs> Um, <laughs> your whole, con- whole. I haven't. I haven't personally got one. Yeah. <laughs> um. I, I don't know. I think digital assistants are the future. Mm. That's without a doubt. Yeah. I, I personally don't use Siri. Um. <laughs> I. I've only ever tried to use it a couple of times. It didn't work for me. I know people that do use it a lot. Um. So again, the risk of sounding really old. When I when I was younger, I had a ZX Spectrum. I don't know if you ever heard of those. I've no idea what that is. No. <laughs> so that was like one of the first home computers. It was built by an English guy called Sir Clive Sinclair, and it was like a little computer about that big, uh, like a laptop with that screen, and it had forty eight k of memory. Forty eight. Okay, whoa. Yeah. That's like, um, wow, that's... So when, when you looked at the games they used to produce on that, I don't know if you ever heard of games like Manic Miner and things like that. So that was a precursor to Mario. Oh, really? It was like a two-dimensional platform game. Uh. But that, that game, it had 16 screens, I think. 48K, you're not going to get a lot. Yeah, know? obviously, it, yeah. It was, it, and, and it was all... Um, God, it was so clunky. But it, uh, it was really cool at the time, you know? Yeah. But, uh, I was going to say about him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so they used to get all different add-ons, like hardware add-ons you could get. And I can remember when I was about 16, um, buying a speech recognition hardware plug-in. And, um, Whoa. It was awful. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, like that old robot voice? Oh, oh, really? the old school robot boys all I could do was make it swear I'm not, <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm gonna try and keep it clean yeah. but uh, the only thing I could do was make it swear and that was yeah, it didn't even really sound like what it was saying but oh, um, wow. yeah so it was yeah it was probably like 40 quid or something and then yeah, yeah the idea was that you could program it to work with different stuff but this is so how far will this technology's come it's it's amazing yeah, yeah. the fact that these things sound like a real voice and, what year are we talking 
that would have been like 1984, something like right. that. 82, 84, something wow, like yeah, that. Wow, yeah, so real early time. days. Yeah. Like, yeah. original Macintosh days, yeah. like... Pre that. Pre that, pre wow. That. Yeah, Damn. pre that. When, when like, be, well, obviously way before the internet, but, you know, there were... You've seen the film War Games. Yeah, I've right. seen that. I love that film. So you know, like where they have like the connection to the network, and he's got a phone, and yeah, he puts it on a modem, phone, and it's just yeah. like the phone head sits on the thing, and that. Yeah, and, um, it was. Uh, yeah, it was like pre pre all that really. Wow, um, damn. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So it was pre like pre mouse. But everything oh, yeah. was just everything was text. It was just text on the screen. And you just yeah, there was keyboard. there was no mouse. Yeah, you literally it was just a keyboard. So you had like up, down, left, right. Yeah, okay. just buttons. That was <laughs> how you played the game. So I mean, the thing is, is before that you did used to have consoles. So there was like you had the Atari six uh, two thousand six hundred, yeah. like the Woodlook one. So that used to have like the world's worst joysticks. Um, <laughs> like, if you if you brought those out now, you'd just get killed. Um, so <laughs> the thing would be moving around the screen, and you'd be like that to try and go up, and it just wouldn't go up. It would just decide it wasn't working. <laughs> but um, it sort of added an added element to the game because you'd have like two controllers and one would be broken where people have been doing that too much so it was like, whoever could get the best controller would probably win the game yeah so yeah. it was a different element to it <laughs> it's amazing kind of how gaming has come across and now almost in the modern age we have the two sides to it there's the kind of app based stuff that's mm-hmm. kind of quite simple and repetitive and then the other side these humongously expansive online games that just are kind of like whole worlds in themselves yeah. and that are continuously getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah. And you can get so, so involved in that. I kind of had to stop playing games just because I was like, right. my, my life would get eaten by them. Yeah, yeah, my life did get eaten by games for a while. And actually, you made a good point about how like when you play video games, like you don't actually get anything out of it. Like, you can play them for as long as you want, yeah. and when you stop, you're no better off than you were before. No. And my, my back when I was super addicted to video games, my parents made this point to me that was like, at the time, I was like, oh, you're just trying to get me to stop playing video games. But now I'm like, it's an all right point, which is they were like, you know, Dylan, like, if you had spent the amount of time that you have spent in the last few years playing video games studying law, like, you could have a degree in law right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it is kind of, and actually, it's kind of a good way to think about video games. Because I still play a bit of video games now, but, like, not too much. Because I just do have that ever-present thing in the back of my mind. Like, I'm not, like, I feel like I'm doing something with my time. Mm. But I'm not. Like, I'm not going to be any better off, really, at the end of this than I was when I sat down. But again, it comes back to that investment thing, doesn't it? Is that, you know, once you start playing a game, um, you become invested in it. Um, mm. Like I, I'm sure you probably remember near, nearer to now, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. So that was in an age where you couldn't save games. You know, oh so yeah. Did it used to it used to like spit out like a code sometimes? Not, but not even Sonic even before didn't. that. Sonic oh, didn't. Wow. So basically, to to play Sonic the Hedgehog all the way through it took about three hours. So you'd like, I used to love Sonic the Hedgehog. We used to play it after coming back from clubbing. It was very much a social thing. Yeah. Um, and you'd sort of like take turns having a go sort of. But, um, but the thing is, is that quite often you could, I think you could pause it. It was a way you could like pause it between rounds. But if you turn the machine off, um, yeah. that was it. And I, I can remember being at a friend's house one night and everyone wanted to go out for a walk in the middle of the night as you do. Um, and they'd spent like two hours working their way through the game. So they, they like paused it. 
Um, and then as everyone was going out for a walk, one of my mates unplugged it quickly. So it just basically lost the two hours. Oh, <laughs> when they came back, they went to turn it on and they were like, oh no. Oh yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't know. My, my daughter does a lot of online gaming. Mm. Um, it's not something I've done. I've not, never been a, I, well, years ago, I was in, into like computers and consoles and stuff. Um, but, I don't know. I used to play the Wii a lot. Oh, yeah. I had a Wii. I loved the Wii. The Wii was really good. Yeah. It had I, a lot of really good games. I think what the Wii had going for it was, again, it made it sociable, didn't it? It was quite... Yeah, it was very much like an after-the-pub thing to play, wasn't it? You yeah. Know, the, the graphics were, like, deliberately poor. Yeah. I, I think it had a similar appeal to, like, Minecraft. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's that it's that playability. Um, yeah. I think with a lot of things... Like, again, going off a bit of a tangent, it's like horror movies. I was talking to my, to my daughter about horror movies the other day. And she's saying, oh, like, she doesn't really like watching, like, new horror movies and that because they're too scary. And I was like, they're not really that scary. I was like, there's just, they spend loads of money on effects and graphics and that. But yeah. if you actually look at really old horror movies, when they didn't have all of that CGI and that, yeah. it was all about the script and the storyline. And they were actually a lot more scary. Yeah. yeah. Had to work. Well, another parallel was like with the, the Spectrum with the 48K. Because they only had a small amount of memory, their games had to be coded so much better and yeah. work that much smoother and be less buggy because the constraints that you had. Um, and I think that's a problem to a large degree of modern society is that, you know, the, the tools that you have to use make it a lot easier to be sort of crap. You yeah. know what I mean? You can plaster over stuff with special graphics and all this stuff. Yeah. And, and that the, the gameplay and things like that in games gets lost. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. And like, even, I even like funnily had an example of that. I watched uh, the, the, the sort of, um, live action adaptation of Ghost in the Shell recently. Right. And, um, I love, absolutely love the anime. Ghost in the Shell is great. Everyone should go and yeah. watch it. And the movie is bloody amazing. But then, like, sort of, with this sort of live action adaptation, I went into it being like, look, it's made by Americans. It's going to be an Americanized action movie. That's cool. At least there's going to be, you know, they're going to mess up the plot probably, but at least there's going to be, like, explosions and loads of CGI and cool right. fight scenes, you know? And so, like, whatever, you know. And um, and then what actually happened was, A, there was a slightly disappointing lack of explosions and cool fight scenes. Right. But also, um, B, like, just, I feel like they really, they, the people went into the movie thinking what I was thinking. Mm. They went in literally thinking everyone's expecting a crappy American CGI action remake. Yeah. So, let's just put no effort into the script or the mm. plot at all yeah. because we can lean so much on technology and that actually made it, like, way worse because it wasn't just, like, oh, kind of a cheesy, corny plot. It was actually, like, this is just so banal there's nothing to it and yeah. like it's just because like we have so much stuff that you can lean on technologically that people don't think through kind of um the other aspects of it i think another good example was ages ago while i was traveling i was kind of trying to get games on i had this tablet i was using while i was traveling so i didn't really want like a laptop around with me and i wanted to get some sort of games on it just for like when i'm on coaches or blah 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 yeah and I was kept going through the store and downloading all these games and sort of playing them a bit and then being like, oh, but this game is just so shallow. And then uninstalling it. And I ended up actually downloading an emulator for Civilization 2. And, cause like Civilization 2 has, like, the graphics are horrific by modern say standards. When was that? Scroll out? That's like 98 or 2001. Right. Or something. And, um, or maybe even earlier. Um, and, 
like on the one hand, the graphics are terrible, the control scheme is confusing, but there's this massive like depth to gameplay because they had yeah. to compensate yeah. for all the terrible graphics and everything by making it like interesting to play, by having there be lots of like cool stuff you can do and variability and like depth to the mechanics. Whereas now in a lot of video games, it's like, oh, we can make the graphics so amazing, the mm. sound design so amazing, and make it so quick and cool. But then there's like nothing more to it because yeah. they lean entirely on the on the on the technology essentially. Yeah, yeah. And nothing to do with the experience. Yeah, and that's that's so. When I was first doing the designs of uh, Quizzle, um. I tried to stay away from achievements, mm. like achievement awards, but then my daughter persuaded me that everyone really likes achievement awards. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, is the way I see it is I think the reason that people like achievement awards is because they want something from the game. Mm. And I, I very much believe that if, if I can give people prizes and coins and a chance to win cash, I don't know if the achievement awards are so necessary. I mean, I, I was planning on doing certain achievement awards anyway. Um, more, well, yeah, so there will be achievement awards for things like if, if you play every game of the week, um, if you play every game of the month. Um, and what I'm hoping to do is I want to try and get a travel agent on board. Mm. And what we're planning on doing is um, giving them, giving users the opportunity to win a holiday by being the person that plays the most games in a year. So you literally oh, wow. just whoever whoever's our biggest fan yeah. will get a free holiday. That's so. pretty cool. That's that's a, that's an interesting award. I think I could probably if, if there was there were a few other games that if they had implemented that I probably would have had some holidays like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean it's interesting that kind of idea of the video game world and the real world actually kind of crossing over yeah. and what new potentials can be released through that. Well, this is the thing, as I've looked into it more, um, marketing, you know, obviously through trying to build traction for, for the app and that, I've been uh, doing some Facebook ads and stuff like that. Mm. And it's just, the digital world is just saturated with adverts and people are just really, you, you know, people have got advertising and people just aren't, really impressed by adverts they don't click on them they, don't, they almost don't see them it's almost yeah. like blindness like ad blindness um, and I, I think the time is right now for a, a different way for brands to interact with people mm. Mm, um, definitely yeah so it, it Quizzle basically gives brands an opportunity to, to build a community around their brand so you know it, it gives people an opportunity to like their products go to their website uh, and, and they can also interact with players so if they've got something new coming out, they can ask people to comment on it, what they like about it, what they don't like about mm. it. Um, but through their choice, you know, then it's not being put in their face. It's not when they turn their Facebook on that that's in their face. Um, mm. it, it's a choice they make to do that. So, yeah, I, th I think it can make a big difference, definitely. It's really this new thing in the world of marketing, and I'm not that clued in on marketing, but I know, like, you know, in the old 20th century model where pretty much you put up your your content and people look at it mm. and then you get sales yeah whereas now it's so much more like everything it's multi-directional and yeah. the feedback can happen and these communities can be created as you say but then also people can have like adverse reactions to bad ad campaigns and really take down a brand and they have nothing they can really do about it like you know yeah. there was that pepsi campaign a couple of years ago i think it was a couple of years ago like there yeah like a year and a bit ago or two years ago with the so like there's like a there was like a 
this Caitlyn Jenner or something. No, not Caitlyn Jenner. One of one of the Kardashians or something. Kind of like, do you know the one I'm talking about? It portrayed a. Um, it was like a, a riot or a political kind of protest or something. On. And, right. Um, you kind of had, on one hand, the protesters or the rioters, and the other hand, all the police. And then it kind of culminated in this moment where one of the, uh, yeah, the gen- one of the Kardashians, one yeah, of the one gen- of the Kardashians, like handed a coke bottle to one of the police members, and then it was like everything was fine. A Pepsi bottle, rather, handed yeah. a Pepsi bottle to one of the uh, the cops, and then everything was fine. <laughs> and it was just reacted to online. People were like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> So ridiculous. They're this like, is so cheesy. And I think it was coming right in the wake of um, Trump's election. You know, there was a right. lot of kind of like Me Too stuff in the air and yeah. the women's marches in America yeah. and here. And it seemed like they were trying to kind of ride that wave. Mm. But it just seemed too unashamedly capitalistic. Yeah. It was like we're yeah. going to throw all of the actual um, the meaning of this thing away yeah and just give you a cut yeah they just probably completely lost the point of the riot in the first place yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um, like who turns up to a riot with like a bottle of Pepsi like why is that how is that like you know your thing that you would think to bring to a riot like oh what if I you know get thirsty like and maybe, there was, maybe it might have worked better for them if someone made like a like a, a petrol bomb out of the Pepsi. Yeah. Bomb. <laughs> 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 maybe, maybe it Throwing it into the White House. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Pepsi. I actually, the revolution. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of people I do did sort of make edits of the video where they sort of cut it so they're like, th- so that it did look like Caitlyn Jenner like took the bottle of Pepsi and then like. And then, it, like, you see her, like, taking this bottle of Pepsi and opening it, and it flips to a shot of, like, actual police at some riot in Greece, and, like, a Pepsi. <laughs> 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 yeah, that probably would have worked better for them, but... Yeah, literally. Yeah, I try and stay away from modern advertising if I can. Yeah. Um, so I haven't got a TV. Um, mm. Stopped watching TV about... about mm, good 15 years ago. Um, wow, that's quite was, a while. Was there anything that kind of inspired that? Was there one moment where you were like, fuck this? Right, so again, going back to what I was saying about what people did with resources years ago. Mm. When I was a kid, I just made myself sound really old saying some of this stuff. So <laughs> when, I, when I was a kid, originally there was like three channels. There was BBC One, BBC Two and ITV. Oh yeah, even when I was a kid there was only five, because we took ages to upgrade to like satellite or whatever, but it was... Yeah. BBC One, BBC Two, Channel Four, and Channel Five. Channel Five, yeah. And so I, yeah. I, I can remember like when Channel Four was released, and everyone's like, "Wow, a whole mm. new channel!" <laughs> <laughs> and then, like you say, Channel Five came along, and that that was in fact the beginning of the end. Channel Five, really? It was yeah. It was when it got to five channels that you noticed that the quality started to go down because oh. there was that many more channels. But when when it was like. BBC, and I, you watch a lot of it now if you, you know, find it online. Mm. And like the production values and just the quality of the footage and that's really poor. But again, when you look at like the, the skills that went into writing and producing stuff, like, so you'll have never heard of this. There was, when I was a kid, there was a sci-fi program called Blake Seven. Mm. Um, and this is back in the day when the BBC used to like have sort of electric slide doors, which would be someone pushing the door. Oh and, yeah. And, and you'd get a noises it open and closed yeah. yeah and it was all just very lo-fi but um it was it was quite well written and acted and it was it was entertaining tv you know they, they were on a spaceship flying around the galaxy a bit like a sort of another version of star trek yeah, yeah and um yeah like all that stuff then was was sort of entertaining it, you know 
there was something to it. Um, and then, obviously, the more channels that there's been, the worse it's got. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, um, the worst channel out of all of them is Sky One. Um, oh, I don't think I've ever watched anything on Sky One. Like... Sky One is more advert than TV, isn't it? And, and the adverts are like really long, so you'll, you'll watch something... And then the adverts will come on after five minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's literally <laughs> just started and it's an ad break. And then the ad break's gone for so long that when it actually goes back to the program, you're like, oh yeah, that's what I was watching. <laughs> 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 totally lost your thread. And yeah. I, I, it's just, I don't understand what their model is, but, um, I guess people watch it. I guess they make money out of the advertising. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I mean, actually, th- that's a good point. This is literally what I'm trying to do with Quizzle. So. Years ago, there was a printing press. Yeah. And that was the internet then. People used to get papers. And before that, there was town criers. People used to stand in the village and shout out. Yeah, you just shout And then there was the printing press. Um, and then after that, um, there was radio. Radio, everyone used to gather around the radio. And then you had TV. But TV's dead. Yeah, TV's yeah, dead in the water. TV's... You know, people have TVs. But they, they watch online content on it and, you know, yeah. And plus, like, half the stuff that's on the TV, it goes in BBC iPlayer anyway. So it's yeah. like, it's sort of just like lip service. The fact that it happens to be scheduled for broadcast, like, yeah. it's on the internet anyway. Yeah, like, and, mm. yeah, BBC iPlayer and stuff. Yeah, so, so basically, normal TV is dead in the water. Um, and then through watching HQ, I could see what they were trying to do. Basically, they were trying to bring TV to a phone. So it's mm. like, it's actually like a quiz show, but the difference is it's interactive. So it's not like you're just watching a show, you're part of the show. Yeah. And that was definitely part of their huge appeal, was it's not just something you're looking at, you're involved in it, everyone's involved in it, it's, it's a, a social moment. Yeah. Mm. So, again, like I say, that's one of the things we want to bring together. We, we want to create a social moment for everybody. Mm. But we're not, we're not having um, presenters, because, because we're using multimedia content, we believe that that content is the entertainment. And doing some research on Reddit recently, um, I've realised that the presenters, although they're sort of quite charming for a little bit, they can be quite annoying as well. Because what they do on their show is they do like shout-outs to people. So they'll be doing a shout-out to Susan in Birmingham or something. No one knows that except for her. So everyone else is just thinking, shut the fuck up and get on with the game. You know, I'm not interested in you doing shout-outs to random people. And they tend to waffle a lot as well. And so we thought we're definitely not interested in having presenters. Um, So we're we're literally looking at the media as being the entertainment. But ultimately, what we want to do with Quizzle is bring primetime entertainment to the mobile generation. So rather than people looking to the TV, they're looking at their phone. Yeah. And the thing is, is it's a huge space... Um, so HQ were operating in this country, but they've stopped operating because their numbers dropped off a lot. Mm. And I think the reason their numbers dropped off a lot and, um, talking to people, doing surveys and stuff for this app, um, I think a lot of people feel frustrated that it's a knockout system. And again, all these things I've talked about, multiple choice questions and shared prizes between everybody and all this stuff. Um, so even though they managed to engage people, it's dropped off a lot and they've stopped operating here. I don't know if that were their reasons for stopping here, but I, I personally believe that is the reason why their numbers dropped because people weren't, weren't engaged in it. Mm. But it shows that there is a market and that people yeah. are looking for that sort of entertainment. Mm. And if you, if you see that TV can go to a mobile scenario, um, there's huge opportunities, not, not for just one company, 
for, for tens of companies, hundreds of companies to create um, a, like a TV experience in a mobile scenario. So, mm. yeah, I, I, I see very much um, like a symbiotic relationship. Where there, there are other quiz shows out there. Um, I'm not going to name them. I don't think they're great in what they're doing, but they, they are still running <laughs> and they are giving yeah. away cash and they do have these quiz shows. Um, but the way I see it is, is, is you can all exist next to it. Obviously, if your show's on at the same time, or your quiz is on at the same time, that's a direct conflict, isn't it? But if you're, if you're on at different times, I, I don't see why there's not space for lots of people to be doing this style of entertainment. Yeah, totally. And like, it also kind of, it sort of flips the, the sort of TV model of how you make money from a program on its head. Mm. Because what you kind of do on TV is you offer people entertainment. And the way that they pay for it is by watching the adverts that you stick between all the entertainment. Yeah. And the adverts are all sort of generic, whatever. Whereas this is kind of flipping it around. You actually offer them like prizes. Yeah. And then the way they get the prizes is by actually doing the entertainment. Yeah. And so instead of like, oh, hey, like, you know, here's the carrot and here's the stick. It's just like, oh, look, there's like two carrots. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's not really any negative in it for user's point of view. Um, you know, they, they can literally just play the game if they want. Mm. They don't have to worry about the coins if they don't want. They can literally just play the game. They'll be gaining coins. They don't have to do anything with them if they don't want to. They might just be focused on trying to win the cash prize. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's just about entertaining people. Um, but it's also a way for the brands to connect with people and people to choose to interact with the brand if they want. Mm. So it's not, it's not forced advertising. So yeah, cool. One, one thing that really pisses me off with modern society is, um, if you if you go and fly post somewhere, you'll get prosecuted. Mm. Yeah, when you leave your house and you walk down the road to the tube, or go anywhere in the modern world, there's billboards everywhere. Yeah, right? you don't have any choice whether you see those or not. You don't get paid. See, in my world, you'd get paid every time you walk past one of those adverts. Yeah, right? because that's what should happen. Yeah, they're, they're basically stealing your mind space. Yeah, in they're, a way, they're stealing yeah. a moment, yeah, and they're, they're indoctrinating you with something that you have no choice or control over. So mm. I, I, I just think billboards and just general adverts. The tube's the worst one, isn't it? You sit on the it's tube mental. and there's just all adverts there. And it's, I, I understand it's a great way for people to market their, their business. Yeah. But, but the reality is that, you know, the, the, the way the human mind works is you'll read anything. Anything. Yeah, that's if there's words, it. especially if you're sat on the train for half an hour, you're mm. going to end up reading them one way yeah. or another. Like sometimes if, you just sit and stare. Something you're not even interested in. Yeah, <laughs> like sometimes you just sit and stare like at the tube map, and you know where you're going, and you just look and read all the station names, and just be like, mm. "Oh, hey, look at that stop down in South London. I've never been there." Like the yeah. most, yeah. most kind of evil way is a great place to target people. If you think yeah. you know, you got millions of people early in the morning or at the end of the day they're tired their faculties are down a little bit probably feeling miserable that they've got to get on this cramped tube with all of these other people yeah. it's like oh fuck this my boss is being a dick oh I wish I could go and do something else with my life why have I got to get on this train and then you've got this humongous picture of Barbados in yeah, front of you yeah yeah, yeah. And and it's, it's all indoctrination though isn't it because the thing is is that you might just look at it and not think anything of it but then you know, like in a, in a month's time and you're thinking, where can I go on holiday? And then Barbados pops into your head. And you have no control over that. Nice. It's, it's just wrong, really, I think. Mm. 
Since I was in the, just the tube the other day and looking around, it's like, you look at the advert, if you look away, you realise you're in some grotty, shitty, grubby tunnel. Yeah. And then you look at it and it's like, whoa! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's only going to get worse with, um, you know, like a lot of parts of the tube now have got, like, screens and they've got... Oh, yeah, they've and got screens and projectors for the adverts. So we're, we're not that adverts. far from everywhere being a video screen. Yeah, and, which um, is going to be really bad for everyone's eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, I was watching this um, this YouTube clip, hopefully maybe we can put it in the show kind of notes, but cool. it's like someone envisaging what the world would look like once everybody's got virtual reality goggles on, and it's like everything is a potential marketing opportunity, yeah. you, know? you swing your gaze around and the bush, something bursts out of it. Yeah, literally, your vision will be full of augmented adverts. Right, yeah. that's the one, augmented yeah. reality yeah. then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 and that's... That's just scary, isn't it? Let's be honest. And the and again, it'll be like pop-ups. It'll be an augmented pop-up. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah know, like on the internet, but just well, in your life. I think the thing to do now is start designing um, augmented pop-up filter. So, yeah, 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 that will be. We'll pay for like literally yeah. is just like make the adverts stop. Like I'll, I'll pay you to do that. Like, but again, I think. I think, well, the, the, the reality is, is the bigger the, the, the data bank that is generated about you as a person, you'll just be getting targeted adverts. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be less annoying than seeing adverts for things you're not interested in. But at the same time, worse in a way, because you're going to be more likely to interact with it. So, mm. so like, you know, it, it's happening now to a large degree, isn't it? So um, the other year, I had this coffee table that I wanted to sell on eBay because I just didn't want it. Mm. And um, I looked online just because it's like an old classic style coffee table. And I was like, I just wonder how much they go for. I didn't know how much to sell it for. And I looked online for this coffee table and obviously found out and then worked out how much it's going to sell it for. And then every time I went online, I kept getting these adverts pop up for this coffee table. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, I'm, try- I'm just trying to get rid of one. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, literally. And then, like, I did that once, like, because in Facebook, they have sort of, not too hidden away, but fairly hidden away, they have your data profile. Mm. You can go and see most of it, like, not all the intricacies of it. You can go and see, like, all the stuff that Facebook has decided that you're interested in. Yeah. And you can delete it if you want. You can be like, no, I don't, like, I'm not interested in that. Stop showing me this. So I went in and I was just like, right, just delete all of it. Yeah, just no more. Yeah. Just to see. And then, like, obviously, you know, at first I was just getting absolutely the most generic adverts for something that like more or less anyone would want to buy that's like coca-cola or something and then um i went online and i looked up like i think it was either a video game i think it was a video game yeah i looked at this one video game that i was thinking about buying Mm. and then every single advert everywhere on facebook was just for that video game yeah and it was like it was weird because it wasn't even like subtle. It wasn't even like, oh, hey, remember that video game you looked up? It was no. like you open Facebook, like banner, video game. <laughs> yeah. So I think the video game, like sponsored post, buy that video game. And I'm yeah. like, it's all the, like, what, what in the algorithm makes me th- think that like, oh, if he looks at the banner and he doesn't want it, if we put it on the side, that's going to make him want it. Yeah. But if he doesn't want it then, then if we put it in his feed, then he's going to want it. Like, but this is the thing, is you know, like banners and pop-ups to me are just a digital version of billboards. Mm, yeah, know, it's, um, exactly. It's the same thing. Like, and like I say, it, there's just so much advertising now. And I, I think people will start to really kick back against this. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I yeah. just see the future needs to be different. 
And it's like, I think it's, it's sort of, in a way, I guess what your app is kind of doing is building a formula whereby like adverts are like, well, A, it's not really quite adverts anymore, but also B, it's like, it's, it's automatic engagement. You're actually putting the adverts into, uh, or putting these sort of advertising, I think would be a better word because there's no explicit adverts, Mm. um, into a formula where like people who are already there, are expecting to see them, probably going to want to see them, and they're already engaged, I'm rather sorry, than just sort of throwing them this, at people. This and... probably may come along, across as a little bit edgy, mm, but just, just taking the Me Too scenario, mm. yeah, basically what's happening at the moment is you're being ad-raped. Yeah? I guess. Um, the difference is, is what I'm proposing is consensual. Consensual advertising. advertising. Yeah, that's a cool so, concept. Yeah. Like, actually, like, advertising that you have control You've chosen over. to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Which presumably is also going to be much more engaging than just advertising through well, the, banners and the buildings. The reality is click-through rates are going to go up massively, aren't they? Because yeah. Because people will be looking at something they're interested in. I could actually yeah. get this. Yeah. It's like, oh, I could get this. And it's like, oh, like, you know, is that a good sort of set of headphones? Oh, let's go, like, look at the actual company's page. Like, ooh, do I want this one? Do I want that one? You know, mm. it... It's going to generate hopefully a lot more interest because you, instead of hoping that someone is interested in the thing, you know that they're probably interested in yeah. it to begin yeah. with. Do you worry about how much data these big companies have on us? So when you were just saying now about Facebook, I, I can remember, that obviously this is a futility now, mm. but I remember years ago just um, looking at this sort of scenario and I thought, right, so if you, I don't know if you're aware, but if you try and delete your profile, They've mm. still got your profile. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Just, you've lost access to it. So I thought, right, there's got to be another way to do this. So what I did was I went in and I just changed all the information on my profile mm. to just stupid stuff, like interests and in that. I just put just really bizarre things. <laughs> um, you know, like um, my favorite quote, I think, is still on my Facebook profile, actually. Remember the Teletubbies? Yeah. yeah. I put my favorite quote as AO. Yeah, and stuff like that, just, just oh, random yeah, just to confuse the systems. So yeah, you... but obviously then, because analytics weren't what they are now, um, obviously I just became a sort of random person, you know. Yeah. But the trouble is, like you say, now everything is based on what, what you look at and, you know, your, your digital yeah, journey, as it were. So you can't, so actually, I don't know if you're aware of this, you probably are, but you know, like if you, if you live in a house, um, I mean, you know, we were saying about targeted adverts. Yeah. It, whatever you search for on that, in your environment and on this Wi-Fi browser, on this network connection, yeah, those adverts will get targeted to any machine in the house. Oh, okay, so, yeah. yeah. So you have to be careful what you search for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's or true. Another way of looking at that is if you want to freak people out in your house, you can go and search for some really weird stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah and then it will come up. Yeah. Come up downstairs instantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've already done that as pranks. Like, if I've ever, like, got my mate's Netflix for whatever reason, yeah. just go through and give five-star ratings to all Nicolas Cage movies. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that way the, the Netflix just goes... This guy loves Nicolas Cage. Yeah, 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 yeah. All his recommended movies yeah, are just Nicolas like Cage. <laughs> like, you know, you can, yeah, you can just, you, it's funny how you can, and then game also, it. yeah, you can totally game it. And then the weirdest thing actually, and this is like sort of deep, is like, whenever I'm like, whenever someone else's Facebook is open, I actually, and they're not in, I don't like go in and like look through their posts or blah, blah, whatever. I just scroll their feed, yeah? Because mm. I want to be like, what has Facebook decided that this person is interested in? Yeah. And then like, what does that say about them? So like, you know, you scroll one person's feed and it's all like pictures of people on holiday or maybe it's just like 
all pictures of girls. Yeah. And I'm just like, ah, oh, this guy's a bit perv. He's obviously just like stalking all the gal on Facebook. Or maybe it's all like sort of video game stuff. Or maybe it's all like news. And like sort of like, it's a weird sort of window into someone else's brain when you Did look you at their Facebook that. feed. Yeah. yeah, it's like their yeah, digital and it, it's soul. It's not like, so bad. Your friend's having a look at that, but just to think that your persona is out there. Yeah. Know, right. Right. This is something that freaks me out. Like, I think I got Facebook when I was 13 or 14 mm. and so, like, mm. a stupid young teenage boy experiencing hormones for the first time. And I'd said stupid and unpleasant and misogynistic stuff in chat messages and yeah. probably on comments on photos and stuff. And yeah. I don't know where any of that is. Some of it I can go through and delete if it's on my own profile, but there's so much other stuff. I think, I think it will be interesting to see if in 20 years time when our generation are in more senior positions in the world. How many leaks will be coming out about oh, stupid endless. shit? Like, yeah, endless. all the, the politicians. The thing is, I think like, eventually people just become unaffected by it because it's right. just like you know the whole the old saying about having skeletons in your closet. That will probably change to something more a modern term. But yeah. the reality is, who hasn't? Yeah. yeah, everyone does. It's just how good you are at covering them up. Yeah, and then like you know, with people running around like sort of Donald Trump, it's kind of like. Maybe it doesn't matter so much anymore. Maybe people don't care about it so much anymore. Because it's like, you know, it's openly come out that this guy has been, like, using prostitutes everywhere he goes yeah. for the last, like, however long he's lived. And, you know, his, his, the loyal Trump supporters don't give two hoots about that, you know? They still think, no. like, oh, you know, make America great again. It's like... No, well, so there's, there's a weird thing, because obviously um, England's got quite a unique psyche around sexuality. Yeah. Um, right? We're all basically squares. Yeah, so, so, you know, like France, um, obviously you know France. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, their, their president famously always has affairs. Oh, yeah. And, and they actually like that. They think that's yeah, a good yeah. thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> there was a great one with, um, <laughs> with, um, it came out, it came out, there were these two scandals about not the current French president, the previous one, mm. sort of semi left wing guy became the least popular French president ever. Can't remember his name. He was the guy after Sarkozy, before Macron. Um, but so two scandals came out at the same time. One, he was having an affair, yeah, and didn't affect his poll rating at all. It actually kind of went up that. a bit. Yeah. And then yeah. another scandal came out that he only owns one pair of shoes and he wears the same pair of shoes every day, and his poll numbers just dropped. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like he's ha- he's cheating on his wife, and it's like, hmm? and it's like he only has one pair of shoes, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, that that is a nutshell from my point of view, is why the referendum on Brexit was a bad idea. Yeah. Mm. When you actually look at what people actually care about. Yeah, how you know, they make their political decisions. I'm not hilarious. saying that the politicians are any better equipped to be answering these questions than the populace. Yeah. But they're yeah. probably slightly more informed. And like, um, there's, there's, there's some great... <laughs> there's some lovely correlations that influence elections. So one thing, if it rains, the left wing tends to lose. Right. Yeah. yeah. If, okay. if election day is a rainy day, bad news for the left wing. So what you're basically. saying is right wing people are more weather hardy. Yeah, right wing <laughs> people are more weather hardy than left wing people. Is that Quite because the left wing people stay at home or is it because the swing voters go, oh, I'm in a bad mood. Yeah. <laughs> wet and cold. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, or, you know, maybe, maybe the rain even motivates the really right wing people like, we have to do something about this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I can't remember. I, I read a bunch of, when I, when I wrote my dissertation in uni, which was basically why sort of representative electoral systems are not good. Um, there were a whole bunch of other correlations that are pretty funny. But yeah, like the stuff that 
influences people voting decisions is just frankly quite silly. I mean, the, the obvious one you have with Ed Miliband eating the bacon sandwich. Right. Remember, like, three days before the election, like, front page of the sun was just Ed Miliband just hilariously failing to eat a bacon sandwich. Yeah. And that, that like, it, it, that is attributed as one of the reasons he lost the election. Like, because <laughs> he well, couldn't eat bacon sandwich. Well, didn't vote for him? Or he just... He, he looks incompetent. Oh, he just oh, looks right. silly. He just, mm. It's just some guy and his sandwich is, like, falling apart in his hands. It's yeah. Just, it's just, like, it's being, like, an image-based media. Yeah, like you do. Mm. This consultant said, "This is what you need to do." Yeah, we've done some research, and people like bacon sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, yeah. but that's sort of the weird sort of reality that we like. With media, we can we've kind of like it sort of extrapolates all these weird underlying peculiarities of the human condition, which sort of sitting there on their own are fine. But then when people find a way to hack into it, then it's like, ugh. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like, and that's almost sort of what advertising is about, in a way. At least, tr- like, you have, like, the super traditional advertising of the, like, Victorian era. Mm. Was it was like, here is our product. This is why our product is good. And here's a list of things that are great about our product and what you can do with it. Yeah. And then you had Sigmund Freud's... Nephew. Nephew. Yeah. I do not remember his name. In the States, yeah. yeah. He basically came up with the idea of, like, don't appeal to people's rational judgment. No. Appeal to their sort of underlying well, it was, it was emotional... Sexual, it was sexualization, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And his big success originally was, um, in the States, women didn't smoke. Mm. Or, like, they did, but not in public places, because yeah. it was seen as unwomanly to smoke. So he just arranged for a bunch of, like, sort of socialite upper-class women who nowadays would probably be, like, you know... Um, uh, Instagram influencers yeah, yeah. to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to famous, famously be seen smoking together at some oh. big public event. And that kind of all of a sudden made smoking into this rebellious, actually quite sort of feminist thing yeah. for women to do. And then women started smoking in public and that was a big coup for the tobacco industry. Mm. And that was his, and he obviously was like, you know, I'm not going to convince women to smoke through the health benefits of smoking, but if I convince them that it's like a rebellious act, then that's going to get people to start doing it. And ever since then, a lot of advertising is about like emotions. And I think the best one is um, perfume adverts. I love perfume adverts because, like, you can't advertise perfume. Like, really, it's you a can't. Smell. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. you know. <laughs> Like you obviously in the in the shopping mall when they can give you the strip and give you like a smell yeah. of it and you can actually there but on a TV you cannot like it is not possible to advertise it so they have to just come up with like it is just a series of images that are meant to like impact your brain in this or that emotional way followed by buy the perfume. Well, they're, they're like, the original sort of brand image sort of companies, aren't they? Because like you say, mm. you can't you can't actually get the smell across online or on TV. Mm. So it's literally about building an image of, of yeah. exclusivity, of value, of of, um, of wealth. Wealth or like um, sexuality or yeah, freedom. All or that stuff. So this or that, that's yeah. literally what they're selling to you, isn't it? Which is why they spend so much money on designing a bottle as well. Yeah. Because if they just had it in a plain bottle, no yeah. one would buy it. No but, one would buy it, yeah. Literally. Guys, and I'm going to run to the loop quickly. Oh, okay, for, sure, yeah. Um, I was going to say, there's a great story about, about product design and how it affects, um, uh, 
I'm going to say what I just said again because him taking off his microphone probably made a bunch of funny yeah. weird noises. Yeah. I'll let it out. Um, there's a great story about product design, like colossally influencing, um, uh, like, like just image completely influencing consumer choice, which is, do you know Grey Goose vodka? Yes, I do. Yeah, so <laughs> Grey Goose vodka is not very good vodka. No. I hate to like break it to everyone, but, um, what happened was there was this French guy, he was making vodka, no one was buying it. It was pretty substandard vodka. And so what did he do? He massively upped the price and he got some really good product designers in to make the bottle look really good. Mm-hmm. And then they did an advertising thing that made it like upper class vodka, nice vodka, and yeah. it flew off the shelves. Yeah. The vodka was the exact same sort of budget substandard vodka you'd been selling before, but just because people just because it looked perception, nice, because having a perception. bottle of it on the table, it's all yeah. perception. And it's the same with, like, isn't the same with all alcohol? Like, there is alcohol out there that's, like, super, super nice, and they sell it in just a fairly, you know, innocuous bottle. Yeah. But, you know, I work in a bar, and there's also a ton of alcohol companies out there who, regardless of whether it's good or it's bad, what they're selling, invest hugely in... Um, uh, brand, brand design. Brand design, yeah. yeah. Another good one is Jack Daly, D- <clears throat> Jack Daniels. Yeah. Everyone thinks Jack Daniels is bourbon. Right. You know, just because they've done all these adverts which make it really make it sound, like not without saying it because it's illegal for them to say it because for it to be bourbon it has to, there's a load of regulations. Right. And it has to be made in Kentucky. For okay. you to call it bourbon, like champagne, like you can't, even if you're making champagne, if you're not in champagne in France, yeah. or champagne or whatever they call it, it's not champagne, you know, mm-hmm. and hence Prosecco and blah, blah, blah. Same with bourbon. If it's not, if you're not in bourbon Kentucky and if you're not following bourbon Kentucky's bourbon regulations, it's not bourbon. But not through saying that it's bourbon, yeah. but simply through making all these adverts that kind of give it the image of bourbon. Loads of people out there think that Jack Daniels is bourbon, but no, it's Tennessee whiskey. It's whiskey yeah. 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 Which is crazy. And like, you know, even working in a bar, I get, I think the best, my favorite one recently was some guy came in and was like, can I have a bourbon sour? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he was like, oh, just use like Jack Daniels. And I just like turn around to him like, Jack Daniels is bourbon. <laughs> and I like make him his cocktail and he's like on his phone and he's like, holy crap, you're right. It's not bourbon. And I'm like, no, it's Tennessee whiskey. Yeah. That's a weird thing though. I think most people, or probably me as well, I always just see all of that sort of drink that comes from America as bourbon. I don't... I'm just, <laughs> yeah, really yeah. Not there's such a thing as an American whiskey, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. I'm a wild turkey fan myself. Ah, uh, fair. fair, fair. <laughs> I'm, I'm a rum guy. So, yeah. I, yeah, I don't drink it much these days. More of a gin these days. <laughs> oh, cool, yeah. Oh, you should come to, to, come to where I work. We're, we're a gin bar. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we yeah. specialise in, in fancy gin tonics. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. I'll ask a question that's going to change tax slightly. No, yeah, go for yeah, it. Yeah. I noticed you wear that necklace with the uh, the om sign on it. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a story. Yes. What's the, what's the, come on. What's the background of that? Oh, I can't tell you. Um, <laughs> can, you like, can you make up a sort of abridged, like maybe leave out some details? <laughs> you know. Okay. Um. Hmm. There's many reasons I wear this. Yeah. Many, yeah, okay. Um, Give us a few of the more. Uh, I'll put you on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> I have, I have um, uh, an interest in many different religions. Mm. Um, when I was a teenager, I was uh, very interested in paganism. Mm. Um, and then as I grew up, I got very interested in Buddhism. 
Um, and then more recently, I've become very interested in Hinduism. Mm. Um, and, well, the short version, without going into too much detail, mm. is uh, I had a vision uh, where Krishna came to me in a vision. Oh, um, wow. And it lasted for about 15 minutes. And basically, he didn't speak to me at all, just emanated love at me. Cool. You know when you see one of those old pictures of a deity with like rays coming out? Of yeah. It? it was like that. And it Sweet. just basically just gave me love. Cool. Um, and just showed me that the only important thing in life is love. Mm. Nothing else matters. And that yeah. basically love is light. Um, and darkness is nothing more than the absence of love. Mm. Um, that literally is all you need to know about life. <laughs> cool. Um, wow. Yeah, that's a pivotal sweet. moment for me in my life. Um, I was pretty played up on this already, but to be shown it in that way yeah. um, mm. was a very special thing. But yeah. Cool. Wow. Well, that's a that's a pretty pretty sweet story. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty yeah. Good. I've spoken to quite a few Hindus, and I've told them that Krishna came to see me. And they're all like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Have you been to India? No, not yet. Mm. Not yet. In fact, do you know how many times I get asked that? Because every time someone sees this, they're like, um, oh, by the way, in case for the audio, I've got uh, an arm sing symbol on my neck. <laughs> we should say that's what we're talking about. Like, oh, yeah, no. What are they talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's yeah, that's that's, that's, yeah we've got to remember that it's not just video. Um, yeah, yeah, there is, there a, is an arm symbol. Um, but... Um, Oh, yeah, so I've spoken to a lot of a lot of Hindus, um, mm. and whenever people see this, they always say like, "Oh, have you been to India?" And I always say, "Not yet," because I will be going. Mm. Yeah, although that's almost more interesting of an answer, at least in this country, because I mean, not so much in this country, but among the people I hang out with, like I know many a man who's been to India. Like, yeah, I But yeah, I'll probably hopefully go there when we expand Quizzle into India. Cool, yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> I'm quite looking forward to it. I mean, uh, we're, we're planning to launch in the UK and America this year. Um, Sweet. And obviously taking taking it to other English-speaking countries would be quite an easy, uh, yeah, easy thing to do. Yeah, change but, up the music. But... Uh, yeah, really, I like a challenge in life. Um, and obviously one of the biggest markets in the world is China. My, yeah. my business partners speak fluent Chinese. Um, mm. And so... I see that as a great challenge. Um, yeah, it's a huge market. I have no idea how I'd work out the media for that. <laughs> mm. I'd have to have someone to do that because obviously I don't know anything about Chinese songs or movies or anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, likewise, India. India is a huge market. Yeah. Um, cool. A great yeah. Challenge. So, yeah, I definitely see um, Quizzle being a, a globally scalable brand. And I, I think there's not anywhere on the planet people don't like music, movies, and, and also and, have and phones. Images. Yeah, and have phones exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what kind of music is it? Just all kinds of music, or it will. It, so to begin with, it will be. Um, it will just be quite generalised to begin with. So it will cover all age groups from modern music right through to like like really old music. I, I, it's a tricky thing because obviously. I don't want to put too much of one thing in. If, if I have too much new music, yeah, then, then people that are a bit older playing it will be like, what on earth is? I have no yeah. idea what this is. So the, the the premise for the game is generally that it's all well-known stuff. Mm. Yeah, so, and there's only stuff that people have a chance of knowing. Right? Yeah, just, just, just sort of, uh, there'll be a lot of sort of classic music, not classical, but classic music in there. 
Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is that you think how many times you hear a record that's like a really well-known record, and you think, I know this, but then can you name it? Oh, yeah, so, so many, yeah. Yeah, probably 90% of music, you know, and obviously yeah. some people are more into it than others, but um, so, so what I want to create, and the same thing with the movies is um, just everything, all the questions, I want it to be stuff that people like hear or look at, and they think, I know that, but I can't bloody remember the name of it. Mm. So I want that sort of internal annoyance with yourself that you don't know. You're, you're not good enough, if you know what I mean, that you yeah. can't remember what it is. What I don't want is people to play the game um, and just think, I don't know that, I don't know that, I don't know that. Because that's, yeah, that's not that engaging. Boring. Mm. Although, I was thinking, like, in a weird way, even though we've just been sort of, like, slagging off big data, it could be cool to find out, like, you know, which people who listen to what. Because obviously, if someone is, like, bang, 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 getting all of the rock songs. Mm -hmm. And then, like, you know, some house music comes up and they, like, always get it right and they never get it. Yeah. And so it's, like, and then then you, if you were to sort of gather all that data, you could start to see, like, which music communities interact and how. So you might find out, say, like, oh, hey, lots of people who listen to hip-hop also listen to, say, punk. Or, hey, lots mm -hmm. of people who listen to, like, you know, jazz and blues also listen to say like garage yeah and like i don't know i mean i don't know if gathering people's data is a thing that you do or don't want to do but that could be an no, interesting there, there possibility definitely will be analytics tied in with it um because mm. you need that just to, to monitor how how the game's going how people are interacting with it and how you can improve it and all that sort of stuff yeah but so to, so i said to begin with it will be quite sort of generic what's what's how, how the flow of the game goes. Mm. But then um, as as we sort of progress and develop the game, um, there will be specific genres of types of music. So there'll be certain quizzes which will be focused on different genres of music. Oh, okay, yeah. So if, you're, if you listen to, say, nothing but heavy metal mm. and you reject all forms of music that aren't heavy metal, you can just do the heavy metal quiz, which is going to have a lot yeah, more... Yeah, there will be yeah, specific yeah. ones for that. Yeah. So. Cool. Are you targeting any particular age groups? 18 to 34 year olds yeah. is our target. But the thing is, is it has appeal across the sure. whole spectrum. Yeah. So Anyone who listens to music really yeah. should be. So we've done, we've done research into our target market, our target customer and, uh, 18 to 34 year olds, they, in, in gaming on uh, revenue for gaming, they do 65% of the spending mm. and they also do 61% of the gaming. Of the actual play. Yeah. So cool. I they, have no trouble imagining that. It's funny. <laughs> I remember being like 16, 17 playing games and be like, Mom, can you buy this? And I'm like, no. Yeah. And then when I finally got some money on a card and I like bought loads of shit League of Legends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they're also, they're, they're the ones that are most engaged in the digital world. They're mm. also the ones that are, um, are most looking for something new and exciting and mm. are, are constantly looking for like the next new app. Mm. So, from from our point of view, it makes sense. Mm. What are your thoughts on the younger generation and the way they're interacting with technology, like kids, for example, and even it's not everything, isn't it? Every, there's good and bad in everything. Um, mm. I could say I, I, I grew up with a 48k computer that just, <laughs> there was games on it. Um, there was no there was no possibility really of learning how to code stuff. Uh, the coding language then was a thing called BASIC, um, which by its <laughs> nice very name. definition was yeah. very basic. Yeah. <laughs> um, was it ones and zeros, was it? No, no, but it was, it was like the next one from that. I think it was, yeah, it wasn't very advanced. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, I, I wish 
uh, looking back now, I wish I'd actually got into coding at an earlier age. But mm. um, like when I was at school, our, our computer class, they had, have you heard of BBC computers? So at the same time as Spectrums, I'm guessing the BBC mm. brought out these computers. It seems really random now. Yeah. They were like huge, great big things for the keyboard. Mm. There weren't really any games for those. And they were pretty much aimed at schools to teach computers. But, like, you know, they'd, they'd teach you to do a bit of coding where it just flashed your name on the screen and that was it. There was no, <laughs> yeah, it didn't really uh, inspire you to sort of follow it as a career. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I wish I had persevered with that, but I didn't. Do you think but, coding is really a kind of one of the most valuable skills? Oh, without a doubt. Mm. Without a doubt, yeah. I, when my daughter was growing up, I was very much trying to push her in that direction. And um, she used to do really well with it. I tried to buy her a Raspberry Pi, but she wouldn't have it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a massively valuable skill, but ultimately in life, everyone does what they want to do. Well, they should mm. be doing what they want to do. Yeah. Um, so she's very artistic, so I've tried to push her in that direction now. She wants to do psychology, but I'm like, no, it's about art. She's like really talented with art. So, mm. um, But ultimately, the most important thing is doing what you want to do, isn't it? Yeah. But for young people, I think, I think it's a scary world. Um, you know, it, it's amazing. The technology is amazing and, and the tools it gives you and, and the opportunities opens is, is absolutely amazing. But it's mm. equally scary, like, like you were saying about growing up in a digital age, um, where you're literally, your life is just there for everyone to see. Um, I think in a way I was quite lucky growing up when I did because it wasn't till, even uh, even in the year two thousand, these networks didn't exist. It's very, it's you know, I was talking to my wife about it. You know, like the iPhone is what twelve years old. Yeah, I remember when it came like 12 out. Years. Like, yeah, it's and it, you know, going back before so that, there there was a period around two thousand. Um, I had a recording studio with uh, some friends, and we used to go out video mixing in clubs. Spent about fifteen years video mixing in clubs. Um, and we had, when we first started doing uh, video mixing, we used to use a video mixer and v- VCRs video. Mm. Uh, I had like sort of about a thousand videos. At yeah. home. <laughs> and um, we used to use that and then eventually we used DVDs and then we used to use old computer consoles and mix those in and stuff. So it was all very sort of, again, like I was saying before about when, when you're at the beginning of something and, and your resources are limited, you'll just use whatever you can get your hands on. Yeah. So we used to, like, we used to, these used to be like some VJ, um, uh, applications on PlayStation one that we used to use and stuff like that. And then mix it in with video and other graphics. So we'd have sort of about four different sources. Um, yeah, we used to love it. Probably if you looked at it now, you'd think, what a mess that looked <laughs> like, you know, with HD and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, even then, and that was around 2000, there was no networks. Not like there is now, you know. Yeah. Um, the bank probably had like a paper file on you, <laughs> a filing cabinet. They didn't, you didn't go in a bank and give someone your card and then they've got your whole history up, every house you've lived at. Um, and, and that depth of, of, uh, information is to me quite scary. And, as much as it gives us, um, I just, I just find it quite scary that, you know, that you're literally, your life is there and any mistake you make or anything yeah. that, you know, maybe you wish you hadn't done. Yeah. It, it, it can never be erased. It's just there. Yeah. And that's actually really crazy because I read a thing that said, like, you know, we have a huge knife crime problem in London. I mean, mm. 
So maybe it's not colossal compared to somewhere, say, like Caracas, Venezuela, but we do have a knife crime problem. Mm. And um, there's a bit of a sort of issue, which is, like, no one's really sure why. Because, like, you know, yeah, okay, there are gangs, whatever gang really means, but there's always been gangs, you know? Mm. Why is the knife crime a problem now? Then it's like, yeah, there's, like, drugs, but there's always been drugs. Like, why is that a problem now? And actually what... What some people are saying, which is very interesting, is that a big reason for the knife crime problem is social media, is that basically, like, if you're living, like, you know, if you're a young person, if you're, like, say, 14, 15, you're living in a rather deprived area, and then something happens to you that's very embarrassing, specifically someone embarrasses you Mm. a lot, um, and they record it. And they post it on social media. Instead of just being this bad thing that happened in your life, it's like there is a permanent record of that thing happened and anyone can see it whenever they want it. Everyone knows and they can watch it as many times as they want. Mm. And basically, like, to a, to a 15 year old in those circumstances, it's a hell of a lot more enraging than it otherwise would mm. be. And so that public, actually public is, humiliation, yeah, that sure. kind of, unbelievable public humiliation that was not possible before, that yeah. is now possible with social media, motivates the victims of that humiliation to get a knife and go and stab the person who did it to them. Mm. And um, and so in a way, like, that's an actual obvious direct link between, like, the technological power social media, data, and the internet, and then, like, real-world consequences of people motivating people to kill each other. Yeah. Which is crazy. So everything online, certainly on Facebook and Twitter, has a big audience, bigger than you could have face-to-face. Like, if we're having an argument face-to-face, maybe it's us two or someone else in the room, but Mm. if it's on a public Facebook post, then you can have, say, for example, a school situation everyone seeing it and liking the comments here and there and kind of getting it on it's it's conducive to revving people up I think and I certainly you know there were fights in school that I saw one I particularly can think of that just came from this ridiculous argument that happened between people in my year and people in the year below me in school right. just all chatting shit what, online it. yeah and so it was kind of saying like started someone saying like year 10s of waste and someone being like oh, year 11 year 11s your pussies and then it started going into like specific people people would be tagged like Michael in year 10 is an utter waste man and it just yeah. turned, turned this massive thing and by the end of it a guy from my year and a guy from the year below were like right I'll see you outside school tomorrow let's have a fight Mental. and then what happened they, they had a fight and it was filmed and someone uploaded the video onto Facebook and it went viral around the school. And there was one point in the fight where someone kicked the other guy in the head. That moment got paused, print screened, and all these year sevens in the school who knew nothing about it really, but it just gone round, were printing them, were pushing them on the walls of the schools with blue tack. And it's just like, this happened in the course of 24 hours. Whoa, that's nuts. Yeah. Mm. Just this amplification effect. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the thing is, is like, you know, fights at school and that sort of thing has always gone on, but I can see how that would definitely fan the flames without a doubt. Yeah. Doubt. Mm. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird though, isn't it? Because the thing is, is that this whole technology and the evolution of the digital world's happened so quickly. Um, literally, you could say in the last 10, 10 years, really. Mm. Because so when you go back before that, 
I mean, so when we had our studio, we used to have a computer, but um, there really wasn't any, much of an internet in the year 2000. It was there, but it was tiny. And I don't think really people appreciate just how fast this thing's grown. Mm. And, you know, it, it's, I was watching our, this is another contentious thing for you. I was watching a video the other day about 5G. Mm. Now, there's a lot of people going on about 5G at the yeah. moment. Mm. And um, the thing that shocked me is, and I can remember when mobile phones were, you know, was first a thing and everyone was saying about the health uh, effects of it. And really what's happening now is, is, is just that carried on, that the industry at the time did some checks, but it was all sponsored, you know, within. Yeah. And they weren't really interested in finding out the health concerns. And it's like anything, you can look in any data set and find whatever you want. So they were literally looking for the stuff that said it's all okay, it's fine. And <clears throat> I saw a video the other day and it was saying about 5G. That they've actually asked, have they done any tests at all on 5G? And they've done nothing whatsoever. How true this is, I don't know. It was just something yeah. I saw. But, but um, certainly but, believable, I mean, especially with technology getting rolled out, that it's going to be so profitable. Because 5G is going to... Like, from what I've heard, the idea is that it's going to be Wi-Fi mm. connection quality everywhere in the entire city. Yeah. You can kind of see why, you know... It's going to be as big a leap from phones that were in your house to having a mobile phone. Yeah. It's going to be like that. It's, you know, like, even though we've got the internet with us now, the, the speed differences yeah. and, and the internet of things, mm. literally everything's going to become addressed and collecting data and... It's, it's, it's quite scary as well from the sort of Orwellian perspective. Mm. Um, and like we were saying earlier about adverts being everywhere and, and that sort of stuff. Um, it literally feels like as a civilization, we're just being everything beta tested on us. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, we're kind of the generations that, that are going to like, we, we have to work it all out and in a way. Um, you know, a lot of countries sort of have caught up, and a lot of countries that aren't even as economically developed as us are actually, everyone still has smartphones, you know? Mm. So, but I think this generation of people, um, and I think specifically in wealthier countries, and also in China as well, um, are gonna, and really anyone in a developed urban center, we are now like, sort of both the guinea pigs and the scientists mm -hmm. in a way that we're like sort of experimenting on ourselves. And that's been something that humans do like do. We do mm -hmm. try and formulate societies based around this or that vision, but our just ability to do it is so accelerated now. Yeah. That yeah. Massively. And that, that's what's scary is you think they'd at least be trying to do some sort of research, mm. not just to sort of winging it and going, Oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Just... I, I was in a cab the other day, black cab, mm. and um, I was talking to him about like the electric cabs and that. And he was saying, "Yeah, the thing is, he's saying that I could get an electric cab." He's saying, "But I'm going to be sat on top of a, load, a bank of batteries all day long." He's going, uh, "Like the energy fields on that? Is that bad for me?" No one knows. <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, you've got a good point, really. I mean, it's a yeah. big difference between using an electric car and sitting on that energy field for ten hours a day." And um, yeah. Yeah, he said he reckoned if he does that, his his, uh, his offspring could be like mutants. <laughs> there will be anyway. Mate. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's too late, man. We've all breathed in all the carcinogens and yeah. been vaccinated and, you know, this and that. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, um, it is scary. And like I said, there's a lot of benefits, but at the same time, it's quite worrying a lot of the stuff as well. Mm. 
So who knows where it's going to end up. I, I personally, I, I was saying to you the other day, wasn't I? I, I think um, I think it's going to end up very much like Ready Player One, where everyone, yeah. everyone's online in an in a avatar. Um, Virtual reality. Yeah. And just like... And people are just not really bothered about this reality anymore. Yeah. Um, we've killed the planet. As long as you've got somewhere to connect, that's... that's See, that's sort of my ethos. Like, I'm just never getting virtual reality. I'm never going there. Because if I do, I'm never coming back. And I know, I just, like, know myself. I know, like, if I... If there was a Ready Player One style, like, virtual reality where you can do all this crazy cool action movie stuff, but Mm. it's, like, basically real. If I went there, I would never leave. I just, I just wouldn't do it. Like... Because why would you like, especially if you somehow got sorted out like nutrition and breathing and all that, so mm. that you don't have to? Like, what would be the point? Well, yeah, I think for that purpose, there'd always be a connection to this reality. But you know, <clears throat> we were talking the other day about that Ray Kurzweil book, um, yeah. "The Age of Spiritual Machines," and I know we, we got uh, interrupted our way through, but something I was going to tell you about that book. Yeah. So it's it's basically a book on the on the premise of. Um, all the different parts of a human body that you can change uh, for like a cyborg part. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point do we cease being humans and become a machine? But <clears throat> part of the book, he, he uh, goes on about uh, by the time we can change our brains and our memory, at that point what we'll have to do is upload ourselves to a hard drive, um, change our, our organic brain out for a piece of hardware and then, and then put yourself back in. But mm. at that point you've just downloaded yourself as a digital version. Yeah. yeah. So there'll be the option for your digital version to live online, but not just once online. You'd be able to live multiple times. And, and so you, there could be a version oh, yeah. of you that's a dog. There'd be a, ver- <laughs> a version of you that's a woman. Um, you know, you could, you could be anything you want. You could be a whale. Yeah. You could, you could, you could download thousands of your consciousness into everything. You. Yeah. And you could reconnect all the different versions and be all the things at once. Yeah. Yeah. Which is quite a, it's an amazing book if ever you get a chance to read that. That's, um, yeah, and that, that was written, God, I think it was seventies. Oh, wow. So yeah, some people really do call it like, yeah, he's Ray Kurzweil. He's a well-known futurist. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, you know, it's a lot, like a lot of the stuff that Arthur C. Clarke wrote about and that, you know, is now reality. Yeah. And you have the funny effect that I love with science fiction, which is that actually, like, there's sort of a, and this is this is actually true of all sort of fictional media, but especially science fiction, is that something that appears in fiction is usually a reflection of how the people in the world think about it. Mm-hmm. But then, because people in the world watch that, it gets sort of reincorporated into the world as well. So, like, fiction imitates reality, but reality imitates fiction. Yeah. So the most obvious one is the idea of the sliding door. Like you said earlier, mm-hmm. like on the BBC, on like Doctor Who and on Star Trek, they had these doors that would like open when the people walked in front of them. Yeah. And what was actually going on is the two guys behind behind the doors and, they, and someone would like cue them and they'd open it and there's yeah. loads of great Star Trek outtakes where they just like walk right into the doors because the guys like responsible yeah. for opening the doors weren't Got paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so the thing is like the, the automatic sliding door was kind of invented by Star Trek because they were sort mm. of thinking like, What's going to happen in the future? How can we make it really advanced? Like, ooh, a door that opens itself. How cool and advanced is that? And then we went and invented the automatic sliding door. Yeah. Because people had seen it in Star Trek and been like, oh, if you could actually make that, that would be really cool. Yeah. And so there's this weird sort of thing where actually sci-fi, science fiction 
ends up creating science reality. Yeah. Because people look at it and then try and be like, oh, that's a cool technology that he dreamed up. Can we actually make that, you know? Well, this, this shows you the power of manifestation. Mm. Um, and ultimately, everything... Um, I read a book when I was, wow, a young teenager called 100% Mind Power mm. by Jack Ensign Addington. I don't even remember who it was by. Wow. Uh, blew me away. <clears throat> it was just a very inspiring book. And it basically goes on about how everything begins in mind. So everything, just like that glass you picked up there, yeah. Um, at one point, someone had a concept for a glass. And mm. then there you have the glass. So literally everything that exists in, in society, in reality, mm. starts as a thought. So mm. if you understand the power of that, then literally just having thoughts starts creating them. Yeah. You know, so if you, if you, I quite often, uh, conceptualize something that I want and I'd specifically project it out into the universe. Because a lot of times it's something that I can't be bothered to sort of develop. So, um, yeah, but my, <clears throat> for me, the best one that I ever managed to do that with was, um, home delivery shopping. <laughs> <laughs> but you invented that in your head. I, I invented that back in the early eighties. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Good job. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, nice I, I obviously couldn't be bothered to take that through. Yeah. But, yeah. I put it out there. It took a while. Wow. Here we are. We've got a car down. Yeah. You put it there. Do you know Nikola Tesla, the Serbian yeah. inventor, used to say that <clears throat> when he invented, he was accessing the cosmic library. Yeah. And it wasn't really him doing the inventing. He could just see it. And yes. he could just go there and sort of like see the blueprint. And yeah. Bring it down and then make it into reality. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the connectedness of us all. And th- that was one of the, the parts of this book, 100% Mind Power. It's, it's, it just literally there's a universal mind that we all have access to and we can all tap into. Mm. Um, and a, a, like most things in life, it's the belief that you can do it. So the difference, yeah. the difference between people that are like really successful in life and people that are just perceived failures is those successful people believe they could do something. Yeah. And that is ultimately the difference. It's all, you know, it's, it's all it's, really matters because like you can be belief super and manifestation. Smart. That's all it comes down to. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. You know, you always, it's almost cliche that the successful people always say, I've failed more times than you tried. But, but that's the point, right? Is that they've had the vision. Yeah. And so mm. they go and they yeah. try. So, so actually that's an interesting point. So there's this other misconception as well that, um, you know, people look at famous people, like say like Steve Jobs or Richard Branson or someone like that. And they're like, mm. oh, it's all right for them. You know, like, uh, and they look and they, they just see someone and as far as they're concerned, they just suddenly were really successful and it's sort of just out of nowhere. One day <laughs> yeah. they woke up and they were a successful person. And what they don't realize is that every successful person is like you say, has probably failed many, many more times than they did succeed. Yeah. Um, but were just relentless. Yeah. And had the vision and the belief in themselves and, and what they were doing just to keep on going. Mm. And, um, yeah, it, I think it's probably quite frustrating for really successful people that they're perceived as you know having some sort of magical quality about just being them. lucky yeah and, uh, that sort of stuff you know? and, yeah. talented obviously there is luck but you make your own luck don't you yeah you know, again going exactly. back to what i was saying earlier about taking every every possibility in life every you know every chance to do something new yeah um if you don't do that you know if 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 say richard branson you know, instead of creating Virgin, just said, oh, you know, I'm just going to watch TV tonight. Yeah. yeah. He'd still be sat somewhere in Streatham in a little flat watching TV. Yeah, of course. Right. The difference is that he, he wanted to do something and he made a difference. So. Yeah. And. Oh, go ahead. Um, it's like, it's sort of 
really it's all determination and self-belief. Because, like, yeah. being intelligent is great, but if you don't do anything with it, it doesn't matter. Being talented is great, but if you don't believe that your talent can create something great, you're not going to use it. And yeah. so, like, it is kind of all in a lot of ways come down to sort of resolve and just belief in yourself and yeah. willingness to go on in spite of failure yeah. that sort of that in a way creates everything but also it, on an individual level leads to people being where they are and reaching whatever heights they do yeah so it's a bizarre thing so recently like my wife's a chef she loves food yeah. and we were watching on Netflix um, Street Food this series and it was about these people that sort of cook food on the streets in various countries. But it was like their life story as well, the sort of struggle and the tragedy they had. And it always strikes me as a little bit weird when, you know, people have like, like bad stuff happen to them and, you know, their life falls apart. And then people always say this thing like, oh, and I decided to carry on. And it's like, I don't get it because like, you're going to carry on, aren't you? You know, what else are you going to do? You know, that's yeah. the only option. You've got two options in life. One's to kill yourself and the other one's just to carry on, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> For most people, option one isn't really an option. Yeah. So, yeah, I just find it a really bizarre concept that people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I decided that I was going to carry on even after all that. And it's like, well, of course you are. You don't have, it's not like a game where you put the controller down. And yeah. You know, yeah. I was just sitting in the corner. Yeah. Not doing that <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. Bizarre. Strange, they have strange ways of looking at life sometimes. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, it's like it's it's kind of like you know it's like the idea that you can't live without something, but then unless that thing is like oxygen or water, if it gets taken away, like you're not gonna die. No, like. You know, and, and that's kind of the funny thing about, like, modern societies, like, it's like, oh, we're addicted to technology and we're dependent on technology and blah, blah, blah. But I think there's a good example when the NHS got hacked. Do you remember that? Yeah. And the, all the computer systems of the NHS just didn't work for two weeks. Like, yeah. the NHS didn't stop. They just went back to doing everything with paper and pens mm. for two weeks. Yeah. You know? And so, like, there's this sort of bizarre way that we kind of look at the world now like the world is on this huge digital progression towards like virtual reality or like you know Blade Runner or whatever yeah and you know it isn't inevitable it's because we're doing it it's because we in our minds are like thinking and about the future and thinking about these new technologies and how things are going to be and going and making them real like we could not do that you know, it is the only reason that we're doing it is because we've decided to do it. And if we decided to do something else, if we decided to have a different vision of the future, we would go somewhere else. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well. Mm, yeah. It's it's we've become dependent on digital systems ridiculously quickly. Ten years, we've gone from not needing mm. them to, like you say, like you know, systems grinding to a halt if, if the system doesn't work. Mm. But I, you know, I was saying earlier about how I, I really think like the next generation are just going to be in virtual reality, augmented reality, and not concerned about this reality. But I can see a generation further down the line kicking back against that. Mm. I can really see there'll come a time when you know the future kids will be like, "What are you doing?" Yeah. <laughs> well, they'll all be bored by like virtual reality. It's like, oh, you can have anything you want. It's like, well. What's fun about that? Like, yeah. You know, if you just 
have everything that you want all the time, then you just end up with like not wanting anything, and then there's no like reward to life. It's just well, the thing is, is I, I, I'm a big believer in in micro macro relationships between everything in life, mm. and also the circular behaviour of everything in life. Yeah, everything in life has. Is, is a sine wave. Every everything you know, life has a progression. It, it has a peak, and then it dies. And I, I think eventually, this sort of digital world, if not if not mankind before, um, will come to an end. I don't think it will last forever. Hmm. Mm. Not the way it is now. Yeah. Because you know, you know we, we're, we're talking about how social media is affected, like you were saying about kids and stuff and fights and things like that. Well, if we if we keep going the way we're going, then social media is going to be starting wars. Maybe, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. And and look at Trump with his Twitter. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, um, we've got someone coming on next week to talk about disinformation, mm. the kind of like information warfare that's going on. Right. Um, and so this is a, this is a scary thing for me, right? Because I know Trump's really humorous. And I do love humorous American presidents, right? So, China! Right? China! <laughs> so the thing is, right, is that when it was George Bush, right, he was just quite funny. He was very funny. And yeah. I think he tried to be funny, but he was just so stupid and that that he did come across as very funny. Mm. And I remember when he was president, I thought, well, it can only go up from here. Because I thought, <laughs> how could you have anyone more stupid than him as a president, you know? Yeah. And then we've ended up with, with, with um, got his name now Trump yeah yeah. That with Trump and it's it's like mental and you just think surely it couldn't get any worse than that oh yeah. boy yeah but I don't know who knows who's but then I did hear that uh, Kanye West was thinking about running for president yeah it's like <laughs> really you know? it's like if a reality TV up TV star could oh, do it then. yeah but there, there, there's also it. the danger that you could end up with someone who's really dangerous yeah, so as, as dangerous as Trump may seem, imagine if you had someone that was really out there, and you know, yeah. Because the thing is, is that the world is a polarized place at the moment. Yeah. So there's no, there's no middle of the road. There's no, you know, everything's like left or right. Everything's mm. right or wrong. So, you know, and and things tend to swing. Like I say, everything's circular. So everything seems to swing left to right, left to right. So that. There could be a possibility that after Trump, America ends up with something quite left-wing and socialist, and then a lot of Americans kick back against that, and then the next oh, person they pick right. is someone I mean, who's just... Yeah, it kind of like the sine wave of yeah. just gets bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. as a wave, and then... Yeah, and he gets elected on the premise that I'm basically, I'm just going to go and fight everyone. And they're all like, yeah! yeah. And uh, we're going to win! I, I really <laughs> think that what we need to be trying to do is work out how to overcome this kind of tribalization. Yeah. The, the how polarized things are getting right. and I think part of the root of it is just in the way we have technology you can you have these powerful technologies that give you everything you want at your mm. fingertips and so people take that and kind of want to interact with the world in that way as well it's like I want everything I want right now mm. and then when it comes to something like politics or in general kind of societal disagreements there are people who have differing points of view and you need to come to some kind of consensus, but mm. that's completely at odds with one-click delivery. Yeah, yeah. And I want one-click delivery of my political program. And if it doesn't happen, then that's a real insult to my, to my, the way I understand the world and my yeah. way of being. You know, I think, I feel like in some sense we're kind of like 
the new technology has turned us all into really narcissistic teenagers or children. <laughs> Narcissism is a huge problem. Mm. Yeah. 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 Scary. It's quite scary. Um, obviously living out East London, see a lot of that on the tube. <laughs> uh, yeah, I find it quite comical and, and scary and bizarre all at the same time. It just, there seems to be no end of girls, um, whose focus in life seems to be their eyelashes, their eyebrows, um, and their injected lips. Mm. And they're just sitting there on tubes, flicking through pictures of themselves. And, um, yeah, just shamelessly, like, <laughs> taking pictures of themselves and then flicking through feeds of pictures of themselves. And, um, I just, I just find that really bizarre. And mm. like you say, it's just, it's narcissistic, you know. I, I personally have hardly any pictures of myself. Um, yeah. And if I did have, I probably would very rarely look at them. Um, and it's just very self-absorbed and narcissistic to be so focused and, yeah, just focused on what you look like. Yeah. yeah, or like how much money you made last month, or like, you know, who your friends are, who you were seen with, or, yeah. you know, but that's sort of, I guess, the model of a lot of how money is made nowadays, is that you have to sell people an idea of themselves. It's kind of like, you couldn't be this by buying our product, or by using our service, or like, you know, this or that, and that's sort of, like, normalized in a way. Mm. It's not It's not seen as, you know, some people look at it and be like, hmm, that's not good, but it's not out of the ordinary simply because so many people do it. Yeah, yeah. And I think everyone kind of probably does it to an extent, but it just goes back to the whole, like, technology just amplifying all of those random bits of the human psyche which are fine on their own but when you apply something like instagram to it it balloons into like a into a like a sort of personality engulfing aspect of yourself yeah massively i mean all this technology and and these apps are designed to do that aren't they that's literally what they're about isn't it you know even if they might have started off in a different direction, that's pretty much what they've become. Yeah. But you, you, you sent me on your email asking me about, uh, your special question. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um, I had a conversation with my wife about it because my wife's way wiser than I am. Mm. Um, I'll just say what the question was. Okay. So what's <laughs> yeah. one thing or that you would say to people and especially young people about the kind of world in the future we're going towards, you know, what one piece of advice mm. or something they should know. Right, so, yeah, like I said, I was having a conversation with my wife about it. Mm. And um, so she's a chef, right? Um, and I'm veganish. Mm-hmm. Um, she She's not. She, she eats meat and fish occasionally, but we pretty much eat a plant-based diet. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and she's also a macrobiotic chef as well. Um, What's that? That's a a Chinese type of cooking where you use five elements incorporated into the food. Mm -hmm. Um, Very healthy. Anyway, so she gets frustrated all the time because on social media, um, it seems that like vegans or vegan groups, they're like the sort of new age Nazis um, (laughs) online. Mm. And they're the judgmental ones that, you know, whatever they know is right, whatever anyone else thinks is wrong. Um, there's no mid ground, you know. You're either with us or you're, you know you're against us. Um, and it, she has a similar thing with the macrobiotic group she belongs to, 
people are very, very judgmental um, about their beliefs and other people's beliefs. And that generally goes through to all social media. You look mm. at how many things you look at, yeah. You never really come across a discussion about something on social media. It's always an argument. People are always, someone will state something and then everyone else is like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's no, there's, there's no sort of mid-ground. People are not prepared to accept other people's viewpoints. And so, really, if there's one message I'd like to give to people about the future and digital technology, it's just acceptance of each other and accepting that everyone has different viewpoints. And no one's right or wrong. Yeah, Everyone's allowed to be different. You don't have to all think the same thing. In fact, if everyone thinks different things, that's even better because that makes a more interesting society. It would be shocking yeah. if everyone had the same beliefs and the same thoughts. Yeah. That would, that would just be terrible. Yeah, it's um, kind of like fascism or totalitarian communism or any kind yeah. of system that just dictates to people what, what to say and think. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a shocking idea. So, yeah, generally that. And then the other... The other thing that we decided on, which is really important to remember, is that ultimately we're just like a person living on this huge planet in an absolutely massive universe. Um, and so what we actually know is infinitesimal compared with the knowledge that is out there. Mm. So as much as everyone's opinionated and think they've got the answer to everything, they actually know very little. Each one of us there's, there's a, a billion times more that we don't know than what we do know. Yeah. And so in every interaction with other people, it would be really good if people remembered that. Yeah, and definitely Just for people advice. to be a little bit more humble and more accepting of each other. Uh-huh. That is the key way I think we can change the direction that mankind's heading in. Because polarisation doesn't work. It doesn't work for anyone. You know, we just need to accept and and celebrate our differences. Yeah, you know? exactly. Enjoy yeah. the fact that people are different. It's a good thing. Yeah. Obviously, no one... This is the problem is with polarisation, is it, it drives people to extremes. So if people were more accepting and there was sort of like a general acceptance of people having different viewpoints, people wouldn't be driven to extremes. So you, yeah. know, you wouldn't have the fascists and, you know, the opposite end of that you know there would be more acceptance and understanding and and more conversations and less arguments as well (laughs) Mm. well said cool yeah that's definitely definitely on board with that yeah so yeah so the next time you're on social media and you come across someone having an argument yeah try and point out to them that they're both valid (laughs) everyone's valid yeah these are all valid points most people come to think what they think in at least their own view, exercising perfectly rational. Well, the ironic yeah. thing as well is, is you think how many topics or things there are in life that you, at some point, had a polarised view about. Yeah. And then later on, through your experience, you thought, yeah, I was really wrong about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, is everything that I've had an opinion about, I've later on realised, like, oh, wait, that wasn't a very good opinion. But, that, but that's, that's the beauty if you're allowed to have different opinions and you're allowed to change your opinions. But can you imagine a polarised world where everyone had to think one thing? And then yeah. later on you thought, well, I was wrong about that. And you think, well, I better not say anything. Cause, uh, <laughs> no, I'm supposed to be thinking that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just quickly, um, can you check the time on your phone? 
because I do actually have work today as well. Ah, oh. twenty to four. Twenty to four. Okay, I think we should probably wrap it up. I think yeah. That's a great place to wrap yeah, it up. Yeah, really. definitely some good advice for everyone out there, everyone watching our podcast, and so everyone not watching our podcast as well. <laughs> so um, I think we definitely the ideas out there. Yeah, let's manifest it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Spread the love. Spread the love. love. Gary Dean. From Gary Dean from Quizzle. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, um, And yeah, so everyone watching, look out for the next episode.